Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is one of our very, very special classic album series podcasts that you are listening to. I am Stephen Hill, but it's not about me today, really. Oh, no, no, no. It's more about the man who has picked the album that we're going to be talking about today. It's Renf- it's only bloody Renfrew Deadman, everyone. <laughs> Hello. How you doing, mate? You all right? Good, man. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. We're I'm- recording this at like... Dead early in the morning, aren't we? Super early in the morning. Apologies if my sentences are a little bit all over the place, as they usually are in the morning. Uh, But yes, we Mm. are recording it quite early in the morning. Uh, But I am really stoked and super excited to talk about this album. I've wanted to do this for a very, very long time. I think it will become quite clear quite quickly how obsessed I am with this band uh, over the next few hours. You're going to leave me in the dust, I think, mate. I think what's going to become quite clear is probably people would assume... I feel like I've gone way too into it, but I think we're we're going to discover that we are quite far apart in how we feel about this band. Mm. Um, But anyway, that's for later on. Basically, um, this is this is going out free and um, it's part one of a two part podcast. Now, over on our Patreon page, um, you'll be able to get part two on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast. What we and Renfrey do is once a month, one of us picks um, one or two, in this case, of our favourite records. And we do these very, very special in-depth, long and brilliant podcasts uh, where you can um, hear our, our, our just basically what we're about to do. Wang on about how great an album is. Now, um, if you sign up for the £5 tier, you get everything. And so far, we've had a two-part on Pink Floyd. We've had a two-part on Radiohead. We've done Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson. We've done um, Use Your Illusion 2 by Guns N' Roses. We've got a whole load that have already been uh, recorded also that are in the pipeline. Roots by Sepultura. Yeah. That's out as well, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, there's there's loads of cracking stuff over there already and we've got plenty more in the pipeline and I'm not going to jinx it by saying any more than that because Renfrey, you recently jinxed this very podcast, didn't I you? Re- I, d- I did indeed. <laughs> um, um, so um, just a quick note just to say that normally we release the um, first part to everyone, um, everyone who should be listening to this and then the second part goes up for our patrons uh, immediately That's going to be slightly different this week, just due to circumstances which I will discuss on our social media platforms. Um, By the time you're hearing this, you'll be able to see the reasons for that. Why? For the reasons for that. Why? God, there's the first one. Uh, (laughs) um, And uh, yeah, um, but yeah, we're not going to go into that too much here. But um, no, 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 no. Basically, part two of this will be coming on our Patreon page for patrons very, very soon. So what I suggest you do is, is relax and listen to this. And then go, cool, that was good. And then go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast. And you can sign up for all of the great um, album, classic album series podcasts for just £5. you got a week before the next uh, one of this one comes along. But you've got plenty of stuff to listen to in the meantime. So there you go. There's the hard sell. Let's get down to the album that we are going to be talking about today. We are going to be talking about... Glassjaw's debut record, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence. Um, That is part one. Part two, as I'm sure you can guess, will be on its follow-up worship and tribute. Um, But let's focus on Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence, which is 20 years old this year. Yeah, it's almost as if we planned this stuff. It's actually 20 years old. (laughs) Goodness me. Actually, when this comes out, um, 10 days ago? 
it was the uh, it came uh, out in this country it came out the 8th of may i believe um and in america the 9th yeah. of may because um albums used to come out on a monday in the uk and a tuesday on, in america um so yes it is the 20th anniversary hooray happy birthday mm. everything you ever wanted happy about birthday yeah, good year for for if a lot of people feel like they're going on about the twentieth anniversary of stuff. Uh, good year or or a dreadful year. I can't really work out if if it's one or the other really because some fucking great stuff came out in two thousand and some abhorrent shit came out as well. <laughs> I think it was a wonderful year. That might be down to my age. I was fifteen in two thousand, so you know that's when you're really receptive to music. Um, I think it was an astonishing year. Um, we'll get into the year 2000 a little bit later. I actually want to take us mm-hmm. um, back seven years before that even, Steve, because as anyone who um, has just given Glassjaw's merch just a cursory look will know, Glassjaw formed in 1993, um, seven years prior to the release of this record. And mm. this feels like a good opportunity, I think, a lot of people often sort of make the assumption that uh, a band released their first album and will assume that they get together, play a few shows, record the record, start touring it. And that process happens over a period of, say, 18 months or maybe two years. Um, sometimes it does. Uh, we talked about Candlebox mm-hmm. quite recently. I, I can't believe yeah. I got a Candlebox reference into this Glassdoor special, <laughs> uh, but somehow I did. Um, and you know, that happened in about three days, didn't it? They <laughs> went from having never met to playing arenas <laughs> in about four days. Such was the desperation for people to sign anything grunge related. Steve's being slightly facetious there, uh, but yes, uh, it, it, they formed in 1990, and, and by 1993 they were pretty much global megastars. Uh, no, they weren't even global megastars. They were just fucking huge in America. Weren't they um so sometimes that happens but more often than not there is a lot more work that goes into building up a band and getting them to a point where most people see even see them even those that say i was there from the beginning man um in reality that usually means i saw x band's first show in london say which in reality could have been their 50th show, maybe their 100th, maybe their 200th, you know. Um, and Glassjaw is a really good example of that. So we're going to go into that just a little bit. Um, Can I just say, just for kind of, of cool points, when people say that, I, I, I'm i one of those people who said, oh, I saw them the first time. With Sixth, I literally saw Sixth's first ever gig. So... I was there from the start <laughs> when it comes when it comes to sixth anyway at the very least so thanks guys uh, all right uh well, supported no, yeah. them on their first uh, supported them on their first ever gig oh yeah. nice nice yeah. uh Stephen Hill I've said this before Stephen Hill stand up or Steggle <laughs> Uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, I would have liked imagine that. either, really. We, we it would have been, it was a disaster either way. <laughs> so Glassjaw were formed by Daryl Palumbo and Justin Beck when they met at a camp, uh, a summer camp, actually, in 1993. Um, mm. Palumbo and Beck have always been the core of, Gar- of Glassjaw and they've had a revolving lineup of mu- musicians around them. Uh, over the years i'll i will mention some of the other members of glassjaw that have come and gone as this podcast progresses but doing an entire rundown of the lineups would would be a colossal waste of time really yeah um if you include touring musicians they've had on the road with them former members of the band they've had played in the studio with them 
as well as session session musicians who have come into play on just one record like for example former Dillinger Escape Plan drummer Billy Reimer who came in to play drums on material control that equates to 23 musicians in addition to Palumbo and Beck um so let's acknowledge those musicians now uh yeah well done 23 musicians cheers uh, guys uh yeah thanks guys and then and and uh yeah in case people are like why haven't you mentioned todd weinstock all that much blah 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 you know that that it's just gonna get too complicated otherwise also it means that i get to refer to um daryl and uh justin as palumbo and beck uh which makes them sound like a detective duo which i quite like um it does yeah <laughs> so uh Palumbo was already in a band called uh, called X Busted X when Glassjaw formed. Um, I should say they were around 15, 16, maybe, when the band formed in 1993. Mm. Finding out any information about X Busted X on the internet is nigh on impossible. <laughs> um, well, you do know, Renfrey, you've committed a cardinal straight edge sin straight away oh, there no. by pronouncing the X's on those bands you're not meant to say the x oh you're I, mean, I know everyone already does oh so they're not meant to say that those silent x's those are so so they were called busted no, i went they were called busted yeah oh wow daryl palumbo was in yeah. busted <laughs> he was yeah that is yeah. a fact ladies and gentlemen daryl palumbo was I mean, in busted. i thought he was in busted yeah um just uh, like in case it, well if you don't want to upset straight edge people don't pronounce the x we um oh, play again when i was that. in the band we played we played we played with canaan and it's x canaan x and my mate went oh x canaan x and one of them overheard and he was like we're not <laughs> went 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 mental oh, right. so um you you don't say the x's oh i do apologize bands, to any straight straight edge uh people there i i did not know that i very much am not straight edge as has been discussed on this podcast before um very much not yeah <laughs> uh i've not heard a note of busted i have heard busted but i haven't heard this busted that we're talking about Ugh. um i don't know anything about them all i do know is they were a straight edge hardcore bands because you know there weren't any of those around in new york in 1993 mm. uh that was a joke they did um I've heard uh, it's what I go to school for. <laughs> Be interesting to hear Daryl Palumbo doing a version of that, or the year three thousand. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, Daryl, just an idea. Um, hmm. Beck is the band's sole songwriter, and more or less always has been, I believe. Uh, when he met Palumbo in '93, he was a year away from starting a band called Sons of Abraham, who are a five-piece straight edge metalcore band is that fair to say do you think yeah, yeah. i think so yeah um he was early a- early metalcore in the vein of kind of um like early cave-in yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 do you know what i mean um he was in that band alongside future guitarist uh glassjaw guitarist todd weinstock who would end up playing guitar for glassjaw for eight years or so so he was one of those musicians who stuck around for a while um so for a while glassjaw wasn't their sole musical focus um i don't know if it would have been fair to call it a side project probably isn't particularly um i mean musicians have Mm -hmm. several different projects on the go uh often but it wasn't their sole focus for uh, the first five six years of the band more or less um whilst beck is primarily seen as the band's guitar player he actually played drums in glassjaw up until 1998 uh he did. Um, he 
also briefly switched to bass before becoming the band's guitarist sometime around 1999. Um, but yeah, but for the first five years or so, he was actually the drummer. I, I was going to say that knowing his style as a guitarist, mm. um, I mean, one of the things I did when when we were recording another one of our specials, talking about another, talking about the Manic Street Preachers, I might as well just say it, <laughs> is that one of the interviews I saw with the Manics was that they said, some a band can kind of live and fall depending on what you know what somebody decides that they think they want to play when they're a kid and like james dean bradfield said i was too sort of flashy and showy to be a drummer my drumming would be like trying to be like keith moon and i'd be all over the place Mm. where sean moore's a very kind of sort of sensible person so his drumming style really suited that that kind of straight thing that we needed and it's kept a backbeat i cannot imagine justin beck the man that does all that stuff on that guitar and with his guitar playing style, what his drumming style would have been like and how that could have ever really worked. Well, you can hear it. Can't you? I mean, there are, there are plenty of yeah, examples. You can, yeah. you, can, you can hear it. I think it's in one respect, it's really interesting. In one respect, I find it sort of difficult to equate the two. And in another, I don't. Um, Beck has so many sort of guitar effects and so on and so forth uh, he's using so many different uh, he plays guitar in a really unconventional odd way and it makes Glassjaw the band that they are and um a band who people have tried to copy and in my opinion mercilessly failed at which we'll get into later um but the reason why it doesn't surprise me as much is that it's a very rhythmic thing to his playing rhythm is very very important in uh in in beck's guitar playing i think so it, on one hand it makes sense to me on the other hand less so but um but yes it, it doesn't need to make sense to me the fact is is it's it's true <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah yeah, 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 yeah interesting yeah. point definitely um some of you will be familiar with the kiss kiss bang bang ep which i suppose you could call the band's first quote unquote official release um i'll get into Mm -hmm. that a bit later uh and and that's an example of beck playing drums um on the album he doesn't play guitar at all um so going into kiss kiss bang bang just a little bit um the band were selling copies of that ep themselves on their web store for a while which i know because that's where i bought my copy from just before we started recording this i was showing off my shiny cd version of it um that i have i don't know how rare it is but i imagine it's relatively rare they're certainly not selling them on there anymore um it's also not on spotify i imagine at the band's discretion um and also they were referred to as the glass jaw on this release much in the same way that facebook used to be called the facebook in its infancy anyone who's seen the social yeah. the social network will uh, will recall that excellent scene with jt what comes around goes around timberlake um Whilst you can't strictly say it's the first thing Glassjaw ever recorded, it was certainly the first thing they released on a label, which was called Two Cents a Pop. Although looking into the label itself, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang appears to be the only release on that label. So it's probably safe to assume that it was a label they set up. and Self-release. Yeah, they set up themselves yeah. in order to release the EP. Um, it was reissued in 2001 when they started selling it from their own web store with no label attached. So... Yeah, self-release. Basically. You can buy it on Amazon at the moment for ninety-two pounds and fifteen cents. 
Ooh. pence. Sorry, not cents because it's in pounds, but it is a an American import. Uh, if you go on Discogs, though, you can get it for sixteen fifty nine, which oh. I would suggest you would probably better. If you yeah, if do, you wanted really. to pick it up, I would suggest you do that. Um, incidentally. Mm. Don't want to make this about myself, but quick Remprey fact for you here, which is related, I promise you, Steve. Go on. I have my own label, uh, technically, which I set up in order to release my EP in 2010. Yes, that's right. It is the 10th year anniversary. And yes, it is on Steve's picks for classic albums. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am so obsessed with Glassjaw that my label is called 1-8 Becomes 2-0's Records. Which Yeah, I know that about you. Yeah, which yeah. is of course a reference to the third track on this album, uh Everything You Ever Want to Know About Silence. Uh and the song When One Eight Becomes Two Zeros. Um yeah. Another little interesting fact about um the the song and the name One Eight Becomes Two Zeros is it was a name that you wanted this podcast to become as well. Oh fucking hell, that is actually You mooted true. that, didn't you, as an idea? Yeah, ideas. I oh, you've really made it sound like I make everything about myself now. But yes, that is true. Oh God, it is. Uh, hmm, yeah. And I went. That just doesn't work. No, for a, for a record label. For a record label, I think it works. For a podcast, it's way too wordy to say that for me to have to say that every week. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Eight Becomes Two Zeros. Uh, no, yeah, it'd be a pain, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Oh well, you know, uh, we both had some pretty terrible ideas for names for this podcast. To be fair, so we did. Yeah, <laughs> let's not. <laughs> yeah, I went to call it the Stephen Hill Show. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Ah, uh, yeah, that was vetoed quite early on. <laughs> that was a genuine suggestion put forward by you, though, wasn't it? Absolute prick. See what I have to work with here. Unbelievable. Uh, anyway. Oh, good. Um, so, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You've heard Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, haven't you, Steve? Yeah, um, not for a long time, okay. to be fair. But I do remember, but I have heard it. Um, I've heard all the Glassjaw stuff. Um, uh, and it's one of the better, I think it's personally, I think it's one of the better uh, of their EPs, which are is a, is a mixed bag. They're a, they're a mixed bag, their EPs, I think. And um, maybe it's because this one is a little bit rawer and a little bit more to the point. I mean... You know they they go off on all kinds of trans like tangential things later on in their career. I mm-hmm. think which I'm not that fussed about. Mm-hmm. But um, but this is a good you know for, for what it is and essentially you know like you it, it's basically a kind of demo in it really. Um, yeah, of sorts. Of sorts. Of sorts. I mean it's it's a it's a self release self. It's not a demo. That's harsh to call it a demo. But it's it's a you know it's their first go at doing a thing um at all of in in any kind of um professional manner and i think it's pretty good i mean uh, like it's certainly from what i mean black coffee is a really good song mm-hmm. um I, I i don't really I, I mean i never go back to it mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. um it was when 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 glassdoor were of were a of a concern to me mm-hmm. really when they were away basically mm-hmm. um I kind of did want to kind of snaffle up all the Glassdoor stuff. Mm. Um, but I guess we'll get into how I feel about Glassdoor now, maybe a little bit later. But mm-hmm. but put it this way, I wouldn't listen to this EP mm-hmm. and I don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a much less focused, more scrappy uh, effort 
than everything you ever wanted to know about silence. Obviously, it's much shorter. And yeah, it's okay. Even as an absolute glass jaw obsessive, uh, it's okay. It's definitely better. It's the it's the best thing they released pre uh, everything you ever wanted to know about silence. Let's put it like that, um, as, as we will go into in a moment. But it's it's still fairly far away from the finished product. But I think it's fair to say yeah. you can hear the potential of the band on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's definitely different. I mean, like when you say the stuff, the other things that they were doing, um, it's certainly different to. It feels a what? It feels a lot different to Sons of Abraham, for example. Oh yeah, I w- I would well yes, I would take the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang EP over the Sons of Abraham full length record Termites in a Smile. Personally, um, mm. we'll get onto that in a little bit, but. Um, uh, but as I said, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang isn't the only pre-everything you ever want to know about Silence Glass and material that you can hear. Um, although if you do want to hear that stuff, you have to scour the deepest, darkest recesses of the internet in order to find it, a.k.a. YouTube. Um, I did that, obviously. And in addition to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, there are actually six different uh, releases, if you will. Releases might not even be the right word. Uh, they're demos or live splits or sessions. Sessions is probably the best way to put it to be honest Mm. uh that exists as far as i can tell anyway uh and i've listened to them all um and whilst i couldn't hand on heart okay oh oh mate i am obsessed um whilst i couldn't hand on heart recommend any of them if i'm totally honest listening to them does provide a fascinating insight into the band's development over those seven years from the beginnings of the band to when they released uh the debut in 2000 Mm. um for example the earliest session I found is untitled. It's an hour-long cassette tape. Um, it Boy, does it sound like it was recorded on cassette tape. You know those... Um, I mean, they wouldn't have bought theirs from Argos, but you know those tape decks that you could buy from Argos for about 20 quid and just press record? And lots and lots of bands had them just to record ideas and stuff. It sounds yeah. like it, sounds like it yeah, was yeah. recorded on one of those. Um, and as far as I can tell, it's basically a recording of them rehearsing. Uh, it was obviously never meant to be heard very far outside of the band. Um, there's starts and stops on it. There's several different takes of the same song on it. You know, it, it really does sound like a rehearsal demo. It's it's similar to the mini discs hacked stuff that we were talking about in our Radiohead special on OK Computer. Mm. Um, okay. I'm not going to go into a detailed analysis of the pre everything you ever wanted to know about silence stuff but i appreciate that there are going to be some people listening who might like to at least attempt to seek that stuff out um so i'll just do a quick run through of what those releases were there's the untitled demo that i just mentioned um released in 1994 in 1996 they released a three track seven inch single called our color green in sixth eighth time which is not to be confused with the our color green the singles ep that came out 15 years later in 2011 uh, also in 1996, they released The Impossible Shot, which is a six-track EP that came out on cassette and contains many of the songs from the untitled recording rehearsal that I mentioned from 94, uh, albeit recorded um, better. <laughs> but still don't sound great, but it's better than the 94 rehearsal stuff, certainly. It's ultra rare. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the last copy was sold on Discogs on my birthday, funnily enough, 6th of January. Um, and it sold for £124. Cool. Uh, for wow. a cassette tape. That is a lot. 
it is. It is too much. But uh, but it's an interesting document, to say the least. Uh, there was a split, uh, a live split with a fellow Long Island hardcore band called Motive, who, according to J Majesty P on YouTube, might be the most criminally underrated band of all time. I, I know nothing about J Majesty P's taste, um, but there we go. Right, okay. I'm going to have to take uh, his or her word for it because um, finding the glass jaw tracks was easy enough for that split, but the motive tracks uh, weren't as easy to find. And, you know, uh, this is a glass jaw special, not a motive special, so I didn't go into it too much. Um, then in 1999, they released Monster Zero, which is a five track demo. Uh, this is the point in which songs appear that will be familiar to a lot of people who are listening to this show, as it has early versions of Motel, the White Locust, Rai Rai song and 118 becomes two zeros. All of the release pr- releases prior to this don't have any material that people will be familiar with from their album, their quote unquote official released records. Um, and finally, we come to the Don Fury Sessions, also released in 1999. Uh, this is a 10-track demo. Um, it's the demo that they got signed off of the back of. Uh, Ross Robinson heard it um, and within a, a few seconds stopped the tape and said, yep, I want to sign you. I'll go into that in a second. That demo also contains early versions of Rai Rai's song, Majeure, When One Ache Becomes Two Zeros, and Motel of the White Locust. And there's also another version of Star Above My Bed, which is a song that appeared on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang uh, and a song that they would revisit over and over and over and over again. Uh, Revisiting material and stuff like that is something that's going to come up quite a bit right up until 2011 when a heavily modified version of the song appeared on Our Colour Green, the singles as stars. Um, Steve, I sent you the don fury session and ask you to listen to the first track um because i think it's important to listen to the demo that got them signed um Mm -hmm. what do you think ross robinson saw in glassjaw that made him want to sign them up so so quickly uh well i mean listening to it with 2020 years is quite a difficult thing to go core wow because essentially it's pretty lush. The song is pretty lush, which yeah. is obviously the opening track on the record. Um, fucking brilliant song. Probably the song that most people first heard of Glassjaw, I would say. Most people. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, me too. Um, great. Obviously a, a great song. This is a an inferior version to the uh, version that you, undoubtedly. you get on the album. Undoubtedly. Um, uh, but at the same time, I mean, <laughs> when you think put it in 1999 context it's pretty it must have been pretty exciting because it doesn't quite it's it's got that thing that glassjaw had where it doesn't quite fit hardcore or emo mm. or metal but yet it's sort of all of those things at the at same once. time mm-hmm. yeah um my main yeah, my uh, main takeaway from listening to the don fury sessions is just how much ross robinson did to refine that band to oh be yeah uh it's most noticeable in in daryl's performance uh which isn't a massive surprise obviously being front and center of the band he sounds sort of less uh less savage less free less loose Mm. less wild um he sounds buttoned up to be totally honest as, as if he can't fully let himself go in the performance um but even even the band themselves um sound a little bit more um it's almost as if it's a bit more it's just less yeah less loose less wild 
it sounds more like a. I think it's it does sound more like it's coming from hardcore than they yes. would sound uh on the record and certainly again to big up ross robinson which i do have a tendency to do we said it on the sepultura special like ross robinson gets the best out of vocals gets better vocal performances out of his the, the people he works with than probably any other producer ever i think yes well let's talk about that um as i said robinson heard a mere few seconds of the band's demo um on that cr- crudely recorded demo let's not let's not piss about it's pretty crudely recorded a few days later at rehearsal and the i am roadrunner deal was sealed straight away uh justin beck recounts um ross showed up at our practice we start a song five four three two one ross stands up waving his hands and he's like it's over it's done i want to do this you've got a deal it was chills from the start we couldn't believe it and actually didn't believe it for weeks The first day of pre-production, we had no idea what to expect. We start the first song and Ross is yelling, stop, stop. And he says to Daryl, what's this song about? Daryl starts telling him and we start giggling a bit. He stopped us dead in our tracks and basically let us know that this wasn't a joke at all. It was deadly serious. He put us all in check. He made Daryl spell out exactly what the song was about, which was extremely personal. He taught us that the more you hold back, the more you cheat yourself and the more you cheat everyone else. Couldn't put it better mm. myself. Couldn't put it That's better great. myself. Yeah. 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 That's why I do love Ross Robinson. Oh, he's, yeah. He's fucking wonderful. <laughs> he's fucking yeah. wonderful, isn't he? Um, we discussed how Radiohead changed their songs over a period of time by playing them live and how you can hear uh, not only songs change but certain phrases or riffs are taken and shifted around and put into different songs and so on and so forth and glass are, are a stellar example of that um of of that same approach i would say um just to take one example uh although there are several listening through all those demos and releases that i talked about uh the line if i can't have you no one will from motel uh, motel of the white locust first appears in a in a vastly inferior form i have to say on the song called power tool which dates back to that 1994 demo um right okay uh you know when one eight becomes two zeros has a totally different intro on the uh monster zero version i think um and on the don fury sessions um motel of the white locust outro is completely different with the version on the final album taking an outro from a completely different song uh one that was never actually released called train in vain uh and tagging that onto the end of it instead um it's a heavily refined version of that outro um and they didn't just mix up elements from other glass jaw songs either but from beck's band sons of abraham which i've already mentioned uh which disbanded in 1998 and beck disbanded that band to concentrate on glass jaw uh more basically um he brought guitarist todd weinstock with him into glass jaw for the first eight years um certain parts from that band's uh termites in his smile album were recycled to be used in glassjaw songs um there's a song called the greatest of speakers which is basically an early version of hurting and shoving she should have let me sleep mm-hmm. um there's a song called last year halloween fell on a weekend which contains the opening riff of siberian kiss and like even more amazingly not related to this record but there's a song called no nowhere circles around a plastic toy which contains a riff 23 seconds in that later appears at the end of shearer 
which is a track that ended up on the band's long-awaited third album, Material Control. Yeah. So it's just a really interesting thing how they kind of recycle their own material. Like they release it and they go, no, we're still not happy with that. We're still going to continue working on that. And the, you know, you have to really listen quite hard to hear um, those examples. Um, did, you really do. Yeah, I was going to say, did did you did you re-listen to these yeah. tracks? Yeah. And yeah, I did. Yeah, and like you say, you have to really, you have to know what you're listening for. I think because Sons of Abraham. I mean, this is probably why Glassjaw, when we call them a quote-unquote hardcore band, mm. it doesn't really tell anything of the story really because of what they actually are. Because Sons of Abraham are a hardcore band mm. do you know what i mean mm. they're a me- and there are more straight everything- lace there are more straight lace yeah hardcore band for sure. definitely for definitely sure. they are a straight down the line this is metallic hardcore from the kind of mid 90s as many many people were doing it do you know what i mean that kind of post earth crisis thing that's what they were doing and i think it just swamps the, the gla- what, what glassdoor ended up doing with those riffs and what they put around it is so different that they almost don't sound like the same riffs at all. Do you know what I mean? Because what surrounds it is so, um, it's so different. Mm-hmm. Agreed, totally. Um, quick thoughts on the record itself, Termites in a Smile. What sounds like, Abraham? Um, I I actually quite like it. Okay. Uh, I I think it's pretty pretty okay. I, th- I mean, I think it's pretty I, okay. Yeah, pretty. I okay. think it's pretty okay, but then. I think probably what you have to take into account and that is that I have uh, a long nost- I have a kind of lost nost- a nostalgia for that kind of that that sound yeah. a long lost sound really that you don't sort of hear so much anymore although it's kind of coming back isn't it all that stuff yeah it is kind of coming back yeah. um which is good uh and you know I, I this is when I sort of first started getting into metalcore and and metallic hardcore and hardcore in general so it just and from the production to the tone to the song structures, everything about it just screams late 90s metallic hardcore. Um, which is exactly what it it's, is. Which is exactly what it is. There's nothing original about it at all. Mm, you absolutely mm, mm, mm. don't need it. Like if I was going to put a list together of you need, you know, like you you need imprint by Vision Disorder. Mm-hmm. You have to have that. Mm-hmm. You don't need this. But it's still quite good. It's an interesting curio, though, if you're a Glassdoor fan. And certainly, you know, yeah, if yeah. you want to listen to those songs and, and check out those certain bits and go, oh, my God, that's that's hurting and shoving. You know, it's, it's quite mm. it's quite interesting from that point of view. But I, yeah, I, I do think it's interesting to hear Justin Beck in a band like that mm. and not really be able to hear any of his personality that you get on Glassdoor Records. That's a very astute point. Yes, 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 I totally agree. Mm. Um, maybe mm. because Ross Robinson brought that out in them um yeah. I, i've already sort of spoken about how ross robinson brought out daryl's performance but i think it is actually fair to say that he really brought the performance out of the band as well which yes, is something you definitely. can hear on the don fury sessions they just they just sound uh, again i'm going to go back to more buttoned up on the don, don mm. fury sessions um mm-hmm. more, more straight laced i guess more straight ahead and 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 ross robinson just brought something out of them which actually felt unique um so yeah you know um so let's talk about what was happening in music in heavy music predominantly in 2000 we're in the throes of new metal 
Hooray! We are. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting time, as you sort of already alluded to um, when you said it's uh, an incredible year for music, but also an absolutely terrible year for music. I understand what you're saying. Obviously, I'm quite nostalgic for this period of time, mm-hmm. as I was 15. Oh, mate, so am I, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But, you know. But I think in terms of new metal, it's a particularly interesting time because it was probably just prior to its commercial peak, I would say, but uh, probably a few years post its creative peak. Do you, you mm-hmm. agree with that? Well, I think this is the creative peak because you've got you've got hybrid theory, which makes it the that is the biggest album in new metal. That is the black album. Do you of mean do you mean commercial? Metal. Do you mean commercial peak? Unless you've suddenly yeah. changed your um, oh yeah 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 yeah, crea- yeah 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 you said oh, creative no, peak. No. Oh did I sorry <laughs> yes commercial peak wise apps I think it is the time creatively. Um, yeah, there's nothing that came out this year other than, <laughs> I mean, no offense to Deftones, but I guess if, if you're chucking them in with the new metal crowd, yeah, then exactly. I guess uh, you, they have to have something mm. so they can have that. Um, you know, uh, Primitive by Soulfly is all right. Mm. Um, it's quite good, actually. I don't even think it's all right. It's actually quite good. Uh, Deviant by Pitch Shifter. I think they can have that as well. Um, but in the main, all the good stuff. Isn't I mean, actually, look at all it, like the LD50. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LD50 is quite good. But yeah, all the good stuff is away from, very much away from... New metal. New metal. Exactly. Yeah. Including this record. Because to be super, yes. super clear, I just want to make out, I'm not calling everything you ever wanted to know about Silence a new metal record. I just want to make that clear in, in case anyone mm-hmm. thinks I was saying that. Um, those less in the know and who just saw heavy music as one big throbbing mass, which was all the same and indistingu- indistinguishable from one another likely lumped it in with the new metal crowd though i would say uh my uh case in point for that is the enemy review hooray enemy Mm. (laughs) (laughs) here we go uh of everything you ever want to know about silence um which spends roughly a third of its 200 word review comparing them to slipknot Mm. (laughs) shall i read you the opening the opening paragraph of course i will i'm gonna anyway As brilliant as Slipknot are, their grinding metal nihilism is unmistakably careerist. Jar of decaying animal matter? Check. Bowels full for, quote-unquote, spontaneous onstage dump? Check. Got the scary masks on? Yes, sir. Now clock on and let's set each other on fire. What's that got to do with Glassjaw? I know! I know! (laughs) It infuriates me. I mean, we've talked about how utterly risible enemy was this, in this, this would period. be like oh yeah i mean this would be like me getting a stereophonics album to review and spending the first 15 minutes of going you know what was great about bob marley <laughs> you, <laughs> you know what <laughs> like, off the top of your head that's a great example i gave it a little bit more thought uh, obviously because i've been researching this one and i said mm-hmm. it's kind of like me saying that you two and pj harvey are the same thing because they've both been produced by Flood and they were both on Island. Yeah. Uh, the glacial similarities begin and end with they were on the same label and they were produced by the same person. Their debut, yeah. uh, their debut, well, Slipknot, it's not their debut, blah, 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 don't at me. Um, but uh, I, 
Uh, it is. Yes and no. Um, but it really, it's a pretty lazy, reductive and ridiculous thing to say, isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, to be fair to Enemy, in the last few years, they've got, they have got rock writers in who at least understand the nuances and differences in, in heavy music or rock music. But just to give an idea of what, how atrocious the enemy were around that time let's not forget that nine years later enemy infamously compared converge to acdc just to give an idea of the utter incompetence uh, of that magazine at that point so let's take a look at um the top tens for 2000 uh of the various different magazines just to give an idea of what was going on in and around this time. Uh, if we go to Kerrang, um, number one is Queens of the Stone Age Rated R. You're going to be hearing that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. At the Drive-In by Relationship Command is number two. Deftones, White Perny, three. Amen, We Have Come For Your Parents, four. Perfect Circle, Murder Noms, five. Monster Magnet. What a top five that is. What a top five. What a top five. Uh, yeah. Monster Magnet, God Says No, is six. Snake River Conspiracy. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Sonic G. To- Toby Torres. Toby yeah, Torres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, with a fringe. Yes, with a Toby Torres yeah. and a fringe. Um, yeah. uh, it was number seven. Reinventing the Steel by Pantera was number eight. Kind of surprising considering mm-hmm. people um, don't look too kindly on that record. Uh, Hollywood and the Shadow of the Valley of Death by Marilyn Manson was number nine. Super Suckers, The Evil Powers of Rock and Roll was number ten. Um, Glassjaw made it into the top 20 but it was at number 16 um, uh, with this album Um, obviously should have been higher but that's fine Um, well looking at it uh, I mean yeah it should have been Snake River Conspiracy number 7 that's mental Mm. even the stuff that I mean The Art of Drowning by FI is number 20 yeah that's fucking crazy yeah yeah. Um, see the workhorse movement got in there yes as well (laughs) happy days oh mate we've got to do that workhorse movement rioters review Someone suggested yeah, that. Do. I reckon we should do that soon. Um, mm. Pop into Metal Hammer. Uh, have many. They have many of the same albums, but in a different order. Uh, Queens of the Stone Age rated R is number one again. Amen. We have come for your parents. Number two. Monster Magnet. God says no. Three. The Workhorse Movement. Number four. Sons of the Pioneers. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, we have a. I think we have a nostalgic fondness for that record, but we're both aware that it's kind of crap as well. At the same yeah, time. yeah, 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 it is, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, fine. I mean, the Disturbed, the Sickness uh, at number six mm. and at the Drive-In's Relationship Command at, at number, number 10, 10 goes yeah. to show. Yeah. That's when I wasn't buying Metal Hammer, yeah, put it that yeah. way. Perfect Circle, Murder Noms at five. Raging Speedhorn's debut at number seven. Deviant by Pitch Shifter at number eight and Hollywood uh, by Marilyn Manson at number nine. Everything you ever wanted to know about Silence, about silence wasn't even in their top 20. Naughty Metal Hammer. Um, but my ruin were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's worth looking at the Rock Sound list as well because they used to be a good publication as this top 10 oh, proves, yeah. I think. Um, number one, Perfect Circle, Murder Noms. Fair enough. Love that record. Mm. Number two, Amen, We Have Come For Your Parents. Number three, Radiohead, Kid A. Lovely stuff. Ah. Number four, At The Drive-In, Relationship of Command. Number five, Queens of the Stone Age Rated R. There it is. Number six, Deftones, White Pony. Seven, Marilyn Manson, Hollywood. Eight, Granddaddy, Software Slump. Uh, Really? Fucking hell. Yeah. Number nine, Eminem, Marshall Mathers LP. And number 10, your favourite, Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory. Lovely stuff. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Glassjaw didn't make their top 50. Again, Jesus. sit on the naughty step rock sound. Although they were placed at number eight in their best international newcomer list. 
which consisted of, in order, A Perfect Circle, Lincoln Park, Papa Roach, At the Drive-In, Amen, Disturbed, Kitty, Glassjaw, Mudvayne, Taproot. Ooh, <laughs> Kitty, Kitty, even I will admit, like, most of them, Kitty seemed very, and Taproot, just happy to be there, aren't they, surely? <laughs> I, 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 I don't mind Tamri, uh, but, but I'm not sure if they should have been there. Um, whilst we're looking at lists, just because we've already mentioned them and just to give an idea of what the mainstream is listening to, let's just have a quick look at the enemy's top 10 Queens of the Stone Age rated R, number one. I know, this was a period where the enemies, I mean, I know you just slagged them off, but they started to go more, they never got it really right, but for the kind of more... Uh, artsier the more kind of intelligent rock stuff they you know they started putting godspeed you black emperor and at the drive-in and queens of stone age and amen on the front cover and stuff and that the is dead that is true i think what fucks me off about enemy during this time is they just seem to bring in writers who knew nothing about it they did they did seem to cover it but it was just like but when you're getting writers who are saying oh everything you ever want to know about silence that's a little bit like that slipknot record you know it's just like well, uh, on a very perfunctory level, I mean, they're both heavy albums. That's, you know, both produced by the same person and on the same label. Bar that, you know, it, it, it's so surface level, isn't it? I th- that's what yeah. fucks me off. But, but you're right. You're, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that person, yeah, you know, they, they did cover it, but you're right. Not very well. Exactly. I mean, thank God they didn't go too far down the road. Otherwise, they would have been getting the new Corrosion and Conformity album and going, oh, we've just had Black Seeds of Vengeance by Nile. <laughs> And this feels like it's the same thing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it, it's frankly baffling and laughable. Um, I mean, funnily enough, the enemy review that I found online, um, it doesn't even have a byline. It just says enemy. May, may, I don't know if the writer sort of looked back on it and went, please don't put my byline on that or whatever. I mean, yeah, hopefully they did maybe. because they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, mm. So yes, Queens of Stone Age rated R. Number two, Primal Scream Exterminator uh number th- that's a good record that mm-hmm. yep yep number three pj harvey stories from the city stories from the sea another great record great album. love that album mm. number four badly drawn boy the hour of bewilderbeast oh, dear. <laughs> dearie me that dropped off a cliff didn't it <laughs> fucking hell uh something that didn't drop off a cliff uh number five at the drive-in relationship of command um number six coldplay parachutes uh which i sure def- well, sure it's all right uh number seven eminem the marshall mathers lp number eight doves last lost souls you're a fan yeah. of doves aren't you well <laughs> people really like doves i know i know i don't know why they're boring yeah uh either. number nine super furry animals and Mwah. i'm assuming Mwah is a welsh word it's mwng Oh yeah, I remember it coming out. I like Super Furry Animals. I, I, I've got no beef with Super Furry Animals. I just wish I could pronounce their uh, album titles. Uh, and number ten, Kelly's and Kaleidoscope. Oh right, okay. Mm-hmm. Saw Kelly's supporting you too once. Did you? How was that? Yeah. How was that? It's all right. It's all right. Fine. Um, probably not a massive surprise to hear that Glassjaw didn't make their top fifty either. But it does give you an idea of uh, what more mainstream tastes were going into. Um, so. Steve, what's Glassjaw's relationship with those bands? That's a very general question because I've just listed off 40 bands or 40 odd things there. Well, where, where did Glassjaw fit in into all of this? Here's the thing. In all of, what do all of those top tens that you just mentioned have in common? Queens of the Stone Age rated R. <laughs> well, apart from, <laughs> apart from, from that. Stone Age rated R and at the, and at the driving. And at the driving, yeah. Um, 
I'm not going to call out the driving a hardcore band because I don't think they are. But there is nothing resembling hardcore in any way in any of those lists. Absolutely. Now, when you look at this year, Jupiter by Caving came out. I mean, you said the art of drowning, which is not again not really hardcore. But um, the after the eulogy by Boy Sets Fire came out that year, which is fucking incredible record. One of my favorite records. Um, I believe um, Snapcases Design for Automation. Yes. No, Design for Automation came out um, that year, Uh, and celestial by isis came out there i know isis aren't really thought of as a hardcore band but they very much were at that point um hold it down by mad ball there's a you know not a great mad ball album but well it's actually a good mad ball album but it's not in the same caliber of stuff that we're talking about at the moment um you don't really have anything um that sort of comes from the hardcore scene at all really other than glassjaw absolutely or the little places where they are i'm going to slightly um i'm going to slightly refine what you said on at the drive-in i think at the drive-in i would broadly term out the drive in a post hardcore band very very broadly yeah me too but i also think they are a very different and very unique brand of post hardcore um which, which is just an island unto themselves i would argue glassjaw are as well um, although many people try to imitate it later, um, and as you know, as I'll get onto, failed mas- massively. But um, but yeah, I think I think uh, basically Glassjaw were doing something that other people just weren't at all. I think that other people weren't even capable of doing. Other bands weren't even mm. capable of doing what Glassjaw were doing. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of preamble. But let's get into the record itself. Um, in 1999, the band entered the studio at Indigo Ranch in Malibu with uh, Ross Robinson, um, who, of course, had done At the Drive-In, Corn, Limp Bizkit, Slipknot, and among others. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and they recorded the full length there, which saw release in 2000 on May the 8th or May the 9th, if you're in America, through Roadrunner Records. Um, the lineup for this record was Daryl Palumbo, Justin Beck, Todd Weinstock, Manuel, Cor- Manuel Cor- Carrero, apologies, and uh, Sammy Siegler. Um, who uh, previously of Civ and uh, Rival Schools uh, a little bit later and all that sort of thing. Um, Youth of the Day, Judge. Yep, yep. Sammy, Big shit. Sammy Siegler would uh, leave the band prior to the subsequent tour, but he is on the, the record. Um, I found what I believe to be the Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence press bio. Um, I don't know for an absolute fact that it's the press bio, but it certainly reads like one. And uh, I thought it was worth reading for you here. It's not very long, so don't worry. Go on. Glassjaw. Naked and truthful, pure and brutally direct. Glassjaw works stray chords, a radio-headish swirl of guitar and a barrage of bared emotions into a frenzy that's singular and uncompromising. Glassjaw's I Am slash Roadrunner debut, Everything You Ever Want to Know About Silence, is as riveting and personal a record as you could ask for. One where beauty turns to disgust, where melodies turn molten. That sounds like a press release, isn't it? It does. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, I, I don't. I don't know that for sure. But <laughs> written it's, by Morrissey. Yeah. <laughs> but it's written. That is so what. That's so what press releases sound like. I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. sure it's a press bio or something like that. Uh, but yeah, um, that's fair. I, I. I love the Radiohead comparison. I think that's fair. Mm. Uh, that's all in Justin mm-hmm. Beck's guitar. I can hear that, but not an immediate comparison that people would make. But I can. I can see it. Um, 
It was around this time that Ross Robinson uh, said of the band that they were the new post-millennial destroyers of Adidas Rock, R.I.P. This was an interesting time, wasn't it? He was referring, of course, to bands like Korn, Limp Bizkit and Machine Head, something that Rob Flynn and Ross Robinson had a pretty public bust up about. Uh, Although, incidentally, when I interviewed Rob Flynn in 2017, it came up for some reason. I can't remember why, but he said that they talked it through and they were friends now. So that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. That's good. Um, interesting that Ross Robinson obviously had a massive part in the success of all of those bands. Um, he, he he produced the first uh, two Corn records. He produced, was it just the first Limp first, Biscuit? First Limp Biscuit record. Yeah, and Machine had the, the Burning Red, of course. He did the Burning Red. Yeah. yeah. He did the first Cold Chamber. Did he do the first Cold Chamber? I think he did the first Cold Chamber mm-hmm. album as well. Did the first Slipknot album. Uh, he did the Fear Factory demos before Fear Factory yeah uh, release soul of a new machine i don't i did some deftones demos as well i don't know if um i don't know if those latter acts that you were talking about were the adidas rock that he was referring to but i think when when maybe not i think when he says adidas rock he never i don't think he ever explicitly said who he's referring to but people assumed corn limp biscuit machine head those are the bands that he assumed probably rightly to do that yeah uh but yeah odd that he had created this thing and then had a very about turn uh and when i want to destroy it now you know um which saw uh, well destroy it all of those bands changed i think over this period as a result maybe maybe not as a result of ross robinson specifically saying that but i think they did change from that quote-unquote adidas rock thing um how do we define that steve adidas rock it's new metal isn't it it's um yeah it's what what the, what the, i hate to fucking use that awful terminology that the, the enemy used but the enemy called it sports metal which right. um do you remember that vaguely drive me mad yeah. they, i think they first used it in about 1998 after follow the leader came out sports metal mm. but um and I hated it at the time, but as the years have progressed, I kind of go, oh, well, I don't think you knew what you were talking about, but that's ended up being quite a good like name for it, really, because it's the sort of thing that gets used in baseball games and basketball games and ice hockey games. It's a sort of mm. five-finger death punchy, um, you know, big shorts and monster energy drinks. Uh, heavy, and... heavy music you can bounce to? Yeah, that kind of thing. AKA yeah. new metal? Yeah. New yeah. metal, basically, yeah. I think that's a fairly good definition. Um, uh, of course, Adidas Rock came from Corn wearing Adidas track suits all the time, and of course, their song Adidas. Um, you know, so that's where that came from. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's a fair descriptor. I would chuck in Fear Factory as well because Dino Cazares you... also used to wear um, Adidas tracksuit bottoms a lot as well. Oh, my bad, I didn't know that. Mm. Okay, okay. Is it... I, a lot of them did. I think even. Even, you know, there's pictures of Deftones wearing Adidas tracksuit bombs. I mean, everybody was. They, they all were wearing it. it Old Chamber did as well. It is, oh, it, is it. it is Adidas, is it? I keep saying Adidas. Oh, God, I don't know. It's I like, say Adidas. It's like Nike and Nike, isn't it? Who cares? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> people people pick me up for my pronunciation on this podcast uh, all the time. And, you know, I, in one hand, on one hand, I appreciate it. On the other hand, I don't give a toss. Um, from <laughs> an article in The Garden, Guardian, um, which was a sort of tribute to Glassjaw, written by Pete Kowalski in 2016, he said... British metal magazines were featuring producer Ross Robinson in almost every issue. He was on a mission to destroy the Adidas rock of new metal bands like Limp Bizkit. 
And to Robinson, Glassjaw was the answer. The dissonant melodies of the band's two original guitarists, Justin Beck and Todd Weinstock, clashed in awkward ways. The bass and drums fell in and out of sync, which felt like jazz. Singer Darrell was fanatical about bands like The Cure, Squeeze and Elvis Costello. In photo shoots, he wore stiff records t-shirts in tribute to the underground British label and the crooning of 80s British pop records blazed across the post-hardcore of Glassjaw songs. I had no idea what to make of them, but I was totally in love. Me too, Pete. Me too. Um, I had fucking no idea what to make of this band at all when I first heard them. Um, I remember um, I was obsessed. Uh, obsessed. I bought Koran quite religiously this uh, at this period of time. Um, bought their... I remember it so vividly. It was the Hot 100 issue where they did... Um, uh, the the hot 100 bands of rock at the time metallica were first um you know the those lists that these magazines do when there's not much else going on um yeah. and uh and yes they had this review of everything you ever wanted to know about silence and uh, it got 5ks and just the manner in which the writer i want to say it was ben myers but I might be wrong in that. That I'm going from memory here because I was trying to find the review and I couldn't find it. But the just the manner in which he wrote about this album just made me go, holy crap, what on earth is that? I've got to check that out. And there was just something, it drew me in and made me go, wow, the manner that you're writing about this record, I have to check that out. And so I picked this album up not long after it came out. Got home, I remember very distinctly sitting on my sofa putting it into my sony discman uh and listening to it on my headphones and initially finding it a bit of a clusterfuck of um weird distorted disturbing acerbic sounds i think at this point and probably part of the reason why glass george is so damn fucking important to me they were probably really the first hardcore band I ever heard, really, or post-hardcore band or whatever, or however we're going to define this music. They were probably the first. They were certainly, certainly in Daryl's performance, I was hearing something, just the this, this searing screams that he let out. I mean, you know, I had corn records at this point and I'd probably heard Limp Bizkit at this point and yada, 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 but... The way Daryl screams uh, compared to the way even even like a Jonathan Davis screams or something like that, it's different, isn't it? It's a different thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I do remember at first, I, I think on first listen, I don't think I, I don't think I could honestly say that I liked the record. It was it was too kind of it was too abrasive and too big a jump and I didn't understand it enough. But there was something in it which kept pulling me back. And also, as we've discussed loads of times on this show, um, actually going to the trouble of going back to a record uh, to a record store and getting, you know, your money refunded. Yada, yada. You just you just pursued records more. Mm. Um, it saddens me to think that if I'd been 15 and heard this record for the first time in this era, um, I might have listened to it once and just dismissed it. Uh, I think that's the sort of when we sound like old cunts and just go on about like, oh god, it's such a shame that people don't put as much time into music as they used to. Glassjaw is a prime example for me, and when I think about what I listen to now as a result of it, um, you know, there's there could be a sliding door scenario where you know 
the heaviest thing that I ever listened to would be, have been. It's not even bands that were less heavy, but just, just a different type of heavy. I would have had a Slayer albums at this point, but you know, it's that's a totally different type of heavy. You know. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, like yeah. Slayer are a metal band. Glassjaw aren't a metal band. I mean, that enemy writer probably thought they were a metal band, but they're not a metal band. You know. Um, but I kept listening to it over and over and over again and um, just slowly but surely came to absolutely and utterly fall head over heels for this album because what a record. <laughs> uh, do you recall the first time you heard this album or your first experiences with this album? Yeah. Um, Pretty Lush was on a Kerrang CD. Right. It was the last track on a Kerrang CD. Uh, I was trying to find the CD today, actually, just before we started. Just quickly um, to pick you up on that. That's interesting because generally the way those Kerrang CDs worked is they put the tracks which were easier to digest at the beginning. And as the as the col- yeah. compilation CDs would go on, they it would get harder and harder to digest, mm. I think. Mm. I think that's fair to say. So that's interesting that it was yeah. the last track. But yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. And I remember being like, oh, this is interesting. And then then there was a feature with them. And straight away we were like, because again, so here's the thing. Um, I've said this before and you, I I think you maybe misinterpreted what I said. But the thing about Glassjaw is, is in in the Kerrang world, certainly, maybe in the world in general, um, although, no, post-hardcore was sort of a thing. But there was really no scene for Glassjaw to fit into within the realm of Kerrang. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Or the enemy or Metal or Metal Hammer. 100%. There was really nothing for them to be easily slipped into. So um I think Amen had a similar sort of thing. I mean Amen are a punk band, basically just a very, very heavy punk band. Yeah. And Amen came out on Roadrunner, so it was like, oh hey, they're a you know, they're and they were like, we're not a new metal band, we're not a new metal band, we're not a new metal band. But they sort of got thrown you know they went on tour with all those bands on roadrunner um you also they were, de- had they were the definitely with, thrown in with those bands yeah definitely. yeah for sure um even though they definitely weren't a few years before that you had far who didn't really connect with people purely because emo if you want to call it that <laughs> was yet to have a big enough following and again they were friends with deftones and Wilhaven, and there was no place to put them they weren't a new metal band they weren't a rock band they weren't a punk band they weren't a hardcore band like what where where do they go well now five years later they're an emo band you put them in with thursday and finch and you know funeral friend and hundred reasons and all those other bands but that didn't exist yet with glassjaw when this came out that didn't exist yet like for me just taking sort of very tentative steps into hardcore um well i say tentative steps i was you know massively i loved imprint by vision disorder mm-hmm. um el diablo by will haven which isn't really a hardcore record but you know what i mean um <laughs> sick of it all and mad ball and agnostic front and bands like that i was getting into drop uh, like a first dropkick murphy's album i absolutely loved and that in my head was really what hardcore was you know that was my idea of hardcore so when this came along and it was on roadrunner and i heard the first song and it wasn't hardcore but it was riffy and it was bouncy and i remembered you know i wasn't sort of looking at new metal from old papa roach's new metal and linkin park and head pe new metal i was you know my sort of memories of 
quote-unquote new metal from when I first got into it was, as I said before, Roots by Sepultura, the first Korn record, Adrenaline by the Deftones, you know, demanufactured by Fear Factory. And they're kind of, even the weirder Faith No More stuff, you know, the, the last couple of Faith No More albums, like that all became this this mad melting pot of a genre that didn't yet have a name. So obviously, you know, Slipknot and System of a Down kind of got thrown into it as well. But I thought I knew the difference between modern new metal and then this other thing, which was a kind of proto new metal. So when Glassjaw came along, I mean, you hear that first line Daryl does on Siberian Kiss and you go, oh, it's not a million miles away from something Mike Patton would do. Totally. That kind of scatting, it's not rapping, but it's that kind of scatting, screaming, wild, uncontrollable thing. This is really bouncy. Um, it's got a massive groove to it. It's on Roadrunner. Um, the whole thing about bigging up bands like The Cure and Elvis Costello and the sort of new wave bands, Deftones did that. Jonathan Davis did that. But Des from, I remember going to see Cold Chamber at the Astoria and they came on to Planet Earth by Duran Duran. Like this is not a new thing. So in my head, I was like, okay, they're just a sort of really weird version. They, they are a new metal band, but they're not a new metal band. In the same way as System of a Down were part of that scene, but really they weren't one of those bands. That's how I felt about Glassjaw. Yeah. And when I first heard the record, I was like, it's a really kind of savage, feral, scabrous version of, uh, of the stuff that I thought this scene was going to be a few years ago. Um, but the idea of it being kind of post-hardcore or hardcore, I mean, I don't even really know what post-hardcore was. Um, to, to, I got into, I kind got of into still, helmet. I kind of still don't. Know. I mean, post hardcore, I guess, is hardcore with melodic elements. Is probably the, but even that, yeah, you know. I, I mean, I, obviously, it's all reductive. You know, putting things into genres and so on and so forth. Well, obviously, we have to do it to a degree as part of our job. But the the beauty of Glassjaw is they are an island unto themselves, and they are. You tie yourself up in knots trying to describe their sound. Even today, yeah. you tie yourself a bit emo, a bit um, hardcore, a bit punk, a teeny, teeny, teeny bit of metal, I suppose, but a teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny bit. You know, it's just they're, they're Glassjaw. Glassjaw or Glassjaw. That's what they are. Mm. Yeah. And and also, I mean, I think the other thing, which on a, when you're trying to kind of compartmentalize it all, is hearing lyrics as you heard a lot from bands like i don't know head pe um or orgy or whoever that were kind of or well, maybe not orgy actually because they were kind of more gothy but like lip biscuit for example you were getting these like fuck you bitch like oh she's a bitch like she's a fucking oh she broke my heart and now fuck that bitch like all that shit mm. was was very very prevalent in metal at that time so listening to this i was like Oh, they're, he's kind of doing that. Kinda, yeah, 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 kinda. Uh, it's it. I it was so unrelenting, um, and yet mm. spacious at the same time. Um, we often talk about when we talk about great records, we often talk about juxtapositions and uh, how you know. And I think that sort of unrelenting savageness mixed with the incredible melody that daryl brought to it as well sometimes turning you know going from savage to to incredibly melodic within a phrase you know i mean it, it was just so loose and so untamed i think untamed is the word 
um, the music accompanied with Daryl's lyrics, it was just so bitter and so uh, resentful towards, you know, particular people that he was discussing. And his singing style in itself, which is very powerful and very aggressive, also managed to show off his very impressive range, uh, which incorporated those truly guttural screams. Um, and it created a really unique dynamic, I think, which mm. um, people try to imitate and um, didn't get anywhere near, in my opinion. Um, mm. And as a result... But I mean, let's be really clear about the sort of what, what I'm talking about here is, you know, when you listen to Nookie by Limp Biscuit or Crazy Legs by Head PE, you know, and that kind of very macho... <laughs> You know, glass jaw or not, th th this I don't think that's what this record is. But to a twenty-year-old who's skim listening to it and doesn't have the experience or the nuance that I think I have, or the able to kind of tell the nuance that I have now, you can understand why somebody might go, "Oh well, I see. It's just another one of those kind of like, it's a bravado-esque record on the surface, on the surface. at first." Yep at first um especially when it's thrown in with these kind of mic patternisms and this kind of chunky bouncy riffy thing and it's on roadrunner records yeah. you I, you know like looking back like i i was kind of going to give myself a hard time and be like you thick idiot you thought they were a new metal band you stupid prick mm. but actually you can understand why people thought that. yeah when i was 20 and and also you know i i was running so far away from anything that i thought was like that that i didn't buy this record straight away somebody brought it around my house and played it to me and went oh you, you heard the glass year album and i was like well i really like that song pretty lush and i think siberian kiss was on a metal hammer cd as well and i got that and i was like both those songs are really really good um and then somebody brought it around my house and played it to me and i was like yeah this is really good actually but it was actually songs like rai rai song and when one eight's become two zeros and um those were the kind of songs that i found myself actually becoming more like or they're the best songs on the record because they i thought they had the least to do with what was kind of zeitgeisty at the time totally totally agreed 100 percent um although everything you ever wanted to know about silence is often cited as a milestone post-hardcore record if we're gonna put it if we're gonna put a label on it um it saw very little push from Roadrunner, uh, causing the band to garner ill will towards the label, let's say. We'll mm. get into that. Mm -hmm. um, matters were somewhat worsened when Palumbo started to have bouts with uh, Crohn's disease on tour, as his aggressive star would sometimes trigger those attacks. Uh, and I think the food that... Uh, I, I think the food contribu contributed it to it a lot. I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I, think, I believe types of food that you have contribute to that as well um and um just the relentless touring schedule i think probably didn't help probably the medication he was on at the time was less sophisticated then um and obviously Crohn's disease can potentially be fatal so it's a very 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 serious um disease that we're talking about here mm. um there's an that uh, was the first time i'd ever heard of Crohn's disease and same. knew what it was and when it was sort of same. explained to me what it was i was like oh wow that's that's hot. That's terrible. That's he, a fucking horrible thing. He would be very candid about it in interviews. Um, I don't recall the interview, it, but I do itself. But I do recall him referring to himself shitting blood and stuff like that. It's a yeah. horrible, horrible disease. Um, 
yeah uh, I, I mean yeah i don't i don't want to go into that too much because i i ain't no expert on crohn's disease but all basically mm. it's fucking horrible um just to go back to that account from the guardian written in 2016 by pete kowalski i think it sums up the experiences of many fans who would try to see the band live at this time many of the band's uk tours have been had been cancelled as tough schedules caused singer dal palumbo to suffer relapses from crohn's disease i've missed out on seeing them so many times i've lost count I remember on the 13th of April 2003 walking up to the entrance of Manchester University's Academy 3 for their show and there was nobody around. All I saw was a white A4 sheet of paper taped to the door that read, tonight's show has been cancelled. I assumed that Daryl had been rushed back into hospital, which he had, and I started to accept I'd probably never see my favourite band live. Um, spoiler alert, there is a happy ending to that story because he did end up seeing them in 2016. Um, is that a happy ending? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay apology Depends, well, doesn't it? for for he ended up seeing the band eventually yeah um, okay. yeah it's a defining moment in post-hardcore history everything you ever wanted to know about silence it combined a sense of frailty melody bitterness heavy virtuosity that hadn't really been seen before and uh, as i keep going on about i don't think it's been captured as well since in my opinion, Punktastic um, said that it was a mix of Jimmy Eat World with the harshness of the Deftones, and you pretty much get Glassjaw. It's New York hardcore with a brain. Um, I think that's massively underselling it, personally. I mean, mm. I get what they're saying, but mm. I think you're hugely underselling it by comparing it to those two acts. I think you, you could you could go further in both directions, frankly. I think you could. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But, I mean, gives an idea of how difficult it is to pin down what this band actually do. Uh, I don't think it's a million miles off what Punktastic are saying there, but um, certainly, you know, the vocals shift wildly between that soulful melody that um, uh, Palumbo brings to it and the razor wire abrasiveness, um, often within a single couplet. Um, the enemy review that I referenced before did have one observation that I thought was relatively astute. Uh, everything you ever wanted to know is about silence is ruled by an ebb and flow that recalls the freeform glide of Jeff Buckley albeit a Jeff Buckley doused in napalm, crawling through a room full of broken glass. Uh, fair play, anonymous enemy writer. You have redeemed yourself slightly, but not completely. Jeff Buckley's not an interesting... Completely. Not completely. Jeff Buckley's an interesting comparison, isn't it? Jeff Buckley is an interesting comparison, and I think quite an, quite a good comparison, actually. Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, what, not what if, I thought about, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean... Yeah, it's it's the guitar, isn't it? It's the guitar and, I mean, I think he sort of says it by talking about the Buckley doused in napalm. I mean, Jeff Buckley has a very, uh, as we just, you can go back and listen to our special, one of our very, very early podcasts talking about Jeff yeah. Buckley and his phenomenal vocal range. Episode um, seven. If, if Jeff Buckley was to go full punk rock, to go full hardcore, to try and do a metal album presumably he would use his voice in as many ways as he uses in his um his material that you you do have available to you and that is i mean you know the range on that dude is insane and the range on daryl is insane fucking insane as well yeah. so yeah, yeah I get in, that. in slightly different ways but but yeah but yeah I, I i totally get that i totally get that um that comparison um shall we go into the record itself the songs uh yeah what would you like to discuss Rai Rai song is the um, only big single from what I recall. Do you want to go yeah. there first? Well, I, I always look at one one eight and Rai Rai song as 
one song, to be honest. That's really interesting. Two of them together. That's really interesting because I see a lot of these um, songs as pairs. Um, yes, yeah. I agree. When one eight and uh, and Rai Rai song, I see Pretty Lush and Siberian Kiss as a pair. Mm-hmm. I definitely mm-hmm. see Hurting and Shoving and um, uh, Love... No, um, the one before it. Love bites. Love bites. Okay, love bites. I, those I see as a pair because um, they are both super abrasive and um, yeah. and you know, um, I kind of see Major. Her name, her middle name is Boom, and piano as a as a trilogy almost, right? Okay. Uh, you know, but Makes sense. but yeah, like like I think this it's an interestingly sequenced record because I do think that I'm not saying though that those are like carbon copies of each other, those songs or anything like that. But I I do think there is there is an interesting dynamic to the album in that you know Pretty Lush and Siberian Kiss share similarities with one another, as do. Love bites and razor, uh, love uh, hurting and shoving. Love bites and razor lines <laughs> and hurting and shoving. <laughs> Thank <Yes>. you. <laughs> it is the morning. I do apologise. Um, and uh, you know all all those all those examples that I gave. Rai Rai song and when one eight become two zeros. They all kind of share similar, yeah, similar similar characteristics. I think it's fair to say. Mm. Um, yeah, but where do where do you want to go in terms of going into the songs individually? Um. Well, if you want to start with Rai Rai song, we can start with Rai Rai song. Mm-hmm. Um. Probably the a, a very smart choice for a single, I think, because it's catchy as yes. fuck. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's really catchy. It doesn't really have. It's probably the the only made any song without any kind of real guttural vocals on it at all. Ooh, maybe. Is it? Maybe. I mean, in or any kind of aggressive, because it's not really in a. Uh, it's not got really any aggressive vocals on it at all it's purely clean isn't it yeah yeah no no yeah i think you're right actually yeah 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 it probably mm. is it probably is so you know that that screams single at me Iron- ironic you know i mean like ironic that you use the word screams there but yeah yeah but you know <laughs> it, it's it it says it speaks you know it, it seems like the very very obvious choice mm. if you were going to do uh to do that to 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 make that the the single do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great song, brilliant song, yeah. fucking great song, yeah. uh, and and really quite different to anything. I mean, again, that's got nothing to do with hard. That's got nothing to do with hardcore. Certainly got nothing to do with metal. Mm. I don't really think it's a, it doesn't. It's a rock song, and I mean, when he says like wearing stiff t-shirts and stuff, that's the closest I ever hear to that kind of Elvis Costello thing before Head Automatica comes along. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, should we go to? We've got to talk about Pretty Lush, haven't we? Yeah, we have, yeah. It's a great opener, isn't it? I mean... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I, at this point, I might just be going, oh my God, these songs are amazing. So you might have to take over a little bit on this. No, that's fine. <laughs> I think Pretty Lush is... It, 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 what I liked about it, and again, Faith No More comparison, mm. uh, which people don't often make, is it is the Faith No More albums just go, boom, they're in. Like, mm. go, there you go. Da, 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 go. Da, da, da. Collision. Yeah. 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 And, yes, um, yes, yes. And Pretty Lush is just the album. There's no build on it. Uh, I, that's what kind of set it apart from New Metal a little bit as well, I think, is that all of those, when you think of the big albums in New Metal, like the first, that whole swirling thing on the 
first Slipknot record or um, the ding-ding-ding on Adrenaline or the opening ride of Blind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, they normally kind of build up, you know, most of them took a little bit of time to do the, because it's quite, quite loud, isn't it? Like that's the, that's the new metal dynamic. Whereas this is just like, boom, in you go straight away there was an awful there was an awful this was the period where there was an awful lot of what i will call intro tracks um Mm -hmm. where you get a minute of maybe sort of odd weird dissonant noise or maybe even ambient stuff building up to the first song proper uh that still happens today but um this is the first point that i recall that happening a lot um uh in heavy music unless you can think of other examples prior to this uh no uh not off the not top really. of, off the top of my head i can't um uh and there was an awful lot of that but this record didn't do that no i don't know enough about power metal to be able to <laughs> i mean i'm sure power metal was all over the fucking intro and there was like 15 minutes of orchestral bollocks but the, Be- um, the beatles but yeah. the beatles invented power metal didn't they uh, yeah they did <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's a call back to another podcast uh <laughs> oh, i'm not gonna do it oh come on <laughs> uh, i put my lion cloth the lion cloth came on i put it on and there it was i said to paul i don't think anyone's ever done this before yeah you know we just thought that it's probably a good idea to like sing about dungeons you know it's a line about uh, we took actually from eleanor rigby and we just took out about dungeons we thought that maybe that would you know spawn something and i i i pushed for it i thought that this is something we need to do um thank, anyway <laughs> thank you i appreciate it. that was good <laughs> Okay. I listened back to that and I was like, it's not as good. It sounds much better in my head than it does out loud, to be honest. I think but the, reason I love, like it. the reason I love it so much is it's not a very good impression at all. But, <laughs> but, but I do love it. But yeah, it captures their, the essence of both of them perfectly. Um, Siberian Kiss. I could walk around oh. doing Paul McCartney my whole life, to be honest. <laughs> so something like, oh, you know, something... <laughs> 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 He's such a little fucking. Oh, anyway, go on. Let's talk about Glass Jaw again. Um, Siberian Kiss. I remember hearing um, on the Marianne Hobbs Radio One Rock Show. They went to a show and recorded. Uh, it might have been their first London show, actually. I'm not sure, but they went to a show and they recorded a couple of uh, bootlegs um from that show. And I just remember the version of Siberian Kiss, particularly in that first verse where. Daryl goes apoplectic with rage, yeah. just being like, "Fuck, this is insane!" Um, did Did you ever hear that that uh, bootleg? Do you, are you aware of the one that I'm talking about? No, I'm not. Oh, mate, not, no. I've tried uh, to I've tried to find it and I can't find it. If anyone does find that, please send me a link because I'd love mm. to hear that again. But it was it was just just hearing that. Not only could Daryl recreate the record live, but actually he sounded more pissed off and more searing and more again the word is apoplectic with rage i was just like wow and it did make me go i need to see this band live unfortunately it didn't happen for another three years but we'll go into that as well a little bit yeah because i i did didn't i yeah no uh Uh, mate siberian kiss is fucking great i mean it's like it's almost so good that i kind of mm, it makes Pretty Lush seem not as good, I think. I was going to say, people go to Pretty Lush as the ultimate song, and I, I totally get it, because what an opener. But to follow Pretty Lush with Siberian Kiss, it's like, oh, wow, you've already stunned me, 
And yet you're the second song on this record is even better. I mean, what an incredible double header to open an album with. Um, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I adore side of this. It's so good. I just, that open. It's so great. Ah, yes. I love it. Um, we tried to cover that in Stego and it's fucking you can't do you can't you can't do that give that, me that yeah. just it's it's too hard yeah it's too hard give me back my pictures of me me you and him make three yes please um not yes please because that's not a nice scenario but you know what i mean um yeah incredible song um shall we do the double um header of the songs that are super 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 heavy hurting and shoving and the title that i keep fucking up um love bites and razor lines yes let's do that by far the most heavy tracks on the record i think it's fair to say yeah um, pretty much yeah i mean <laughs> yeah i i mean particularly um hurting and shoving that kind of when i get back mm, yeah. when i get my mate just my mate just used to walk around going um i'm just going out for a minute but when i get back <laughs> when i get back your mate always your mate was always hilarious. irritating as fuck <laughs> it was funny every time he's like man i'm just going to the toilet but when i get back <laughs> when i get back <laughs> um yeah the most searing uh brutal songs on this album by a long way and when you compare it to a song like Rai Rai's song which is the mm. song before Love Bites and Razor Lines came in, comes in it's just <laughs> juxtaposition again it's just like whoa yeah. blimey doused in napalm that is that is the correct phrase absolutely such good songs um, what's your favourite song on this album Steve <sighs> Fucking hell, that's a tough one. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know. I don't uh, know. Anything from the first... I do think, it, like, personally, I think this album's brilliant. Um, you like Glassjaw more than me, Renfrey. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, it, it's come to pass, I think, that this is undoubtedly the best record that the band have, or the, the best thing the band have, I think, personally. We'll get I... into talking about worship and tribute on worship and tribute but if you think, think if you it's... think i'm going crazy now you wait till we get to worship and tribute i i do actually disagree with that statement but okay. yeah we'll go into that um, on the next this is part. this is what i've learned because i always thought worship and tribute oh it's probably better and it's nicer and da, da, da. it's certainly a nicer record worship and tribute yes um th this is a, a pretty horrible record in, in parts isn't it and i mm -hmm. don't mean horrible I don't mean, you know, like, I know a lot of the, the whole kind of, well, they've had to disavow that because, oh, he says such horrible things in it. We'll get into I think that. Every, every, yeah, I'm, for the record, it's all justified, I think, um, or can be justified. Um, I think Motel of the White Locust is amazing. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit in the, 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 the bit in the middle. I don't think the second half is as strong as the first half, personally. Mm. Um, that's not to say that, like, I think Majeure is great. Um, I, as I said, closing with Motel, the White Locust is that's a um, that is a brilliant song. Um, I remember they ended with that one when I saw them, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But best song is probably when One Eight become two zeros because I just think it's mm. it's so different and that bass tone, that kind of 
opening bass line and how woozy it feels. And it's got a bit of like when you, you know, the influence of the cure and shoegaze and that kind of, you can hear it on that song, which is when ba- a lot of bands said it. I mean, even when Deftones were saying it at this point, if it was just before, and it was just before White Pony came out, Deftones said it, but they never really achieved it in the same way as this song, not until White Pony came out. So Glaster only ever had the like, actually we do channel shoegaze and the cure better than anyone. They only had it for a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. But, but they did, but when this came out, they definitely did. I thought, I listened to that song and I was like, oh, you actually, you're not just saying, oh, we like that stuff. You actually know how to play it as well. Um, uh, jo- Jonathan Davis, for example, clearly loves all that music and stuff like that. But you, do, but seeing the influence of those bands in Corn, you have to look very, 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 very hard. Well, I think. it's because the other four members of Corn don't. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And they write the music. Yeah. So, um, yeah. picking a favorite song, frankly, for me for this album is nigh on impossible, and I have wrestled with it because uh, it's a question that I, you know, we always bring up in this um, podcast uh, on these podcasts that we do. Um, so therefore, I'm going to plump for Major. Her middle name is Boom and Piano, and pretend it's one song. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, which that is seems cheating. Greedy. <laughs> yeah. Not even picking two, is it? But fine. Yeah. I don't care because I love Glassjaw. Um, I I think the reason for that is because uh, juxtaposition. Again, I love how, where those songs go um, in terms of how heavy they get, but also how soulful and melodic they get. Um her middle name is Boom is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. When it's home, you know that chorus. When 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 people do a massive like Wah! sort of chorus, like really epic and lush sounding and all that sort of thing, I'm an absolute sucker for that. Um, that bit in the middle of pia- uh, piano when I was like, uh, maybe not. Why the stair would I lie? I never was as good. You know, is just cool mm. as fuck um i i just uh, the juxtaposition between the quietness of uh it is piano isn't it the piano riff coming mm-hmm. in and then and then the roar that the entire band come in with um very reminiscent of uh, Today by Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know if that was a direct influence, but it just absolutely reminds me of Today by Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, I can see that. <sighs> um, just love it. I, I just, I just, I just love them so much. Um, <laughs> babe, we should probably talk about just because a minute and a half of pure ferocity. I did just say hurting and lo- shoving and love boats and raising lines with them heaviest songs on this record but actually Bay probably has a shout for that as well um yeah i think so uh it's like 90 brief in it yeah so brief yeah. so brief. i i don't i don't like for me personally i don't think it's as good as either of the other two that you mentioned of oh, the, the heavier ones i think it's a slight a slight step down in terms of not in terms of the ferocity but in terms of how the quality of the song because okay. it is 90 seconds and it's you know fair you know um just not as good but then we also uh the only song we haven't really talked about is the title track but it is important to talk about that song because oh, yeah again juxtaposition uh again uh, the, the, uh, 
I still get chills um, at the outro of that song. This is what it's like to be alone. This is what it's like to be alone, especially mm. uh, given Daryl's struggles, um, not just with his obvious struggles with his love life, but just uh, um, I can't imagine. I mean, what it must be like to be alone, probably being in hospital as much as he has been, you know, yeah. um, and, and it's just so... Uh, I, I can't I can't I cannot find the words Steve that's what I'm trying to get I cannot find the words for how much I love this record which is a bit of a tough one because uh, I am a music <laughs> journalist and that is technically what I'm meant <laughs> to be doing yeah that's but, fine God. I can I, I can find the words of how much I love it yeah. I can definitely tell you that uh, yeah I mean I think the title track is um, it points to a um, somebody in a quite a desperate situation quite a fragile situation and i think that needs to be taken when when people go for like i mean i know we're going to talk about the the controversial lyrical uh stuff in a minute but this to me would be exhibit a in the defense of mm. this record lyrically mm. because i think you look at that and you go well this is just a very deeply troubled person and they don't appear to have any sort of filter at all as to what they're allowing people into do you know what i mean i think you should want that shouldn't you mm. you should what you should want artists to be um open if that if they're willing to be you should you should inc that should be encouraged that shouldn't be suppressed and i feel like the idea of going well i don't like what he's saying so let's suppress his 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 genuine inner turmoil and demons i think that feels like quite a callous that feels like quite that feels like a quite a quite a British upper class thing to do. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like oh, a stiff upper lip and all that. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't agree at all. You might not like hearing it, mm. but sometimes you have to hear things that you don't want to hear. And I think this re this this um, this song, which is, I mean, you know, it could be it it could be thought of as him feeling sorry for himself in a, the end of a relationship, but it very much really could be thought of as I'm. I feel like I'm in physical pain and, and I'm going to die as much as it is in emotional pain. Mm -hmm. um, and it brings those two subjects together, doesn't it? Into one yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to just kind of interpret it, the whole album one way without taking a song like this into account, I think shows that you're not really paying attention and you shouldn't mm. really be allowed to have an opinion <laughs> because you don't really know what you're talking about. You, you have an informed opinion you're entitled to an inform. I always and it's like everyone's entitled to their opinion. No, you're entitled to an informed opinion, mm. and mm. this makes the, an informed opinion of this record. And it is a great. And you're right, it is a, a really great song as well. Let's go into that now. Then um, mm -hmm. everything you ever want to know about silence is written from the perspective of a heartbroken. I think the majority of the record was probably written when Daryl was about nineteen. Would be my guess. Um, nineteen, yep. maybe twenty. It came out when he was twenty-one, but it was probably written when he was 19, eight, uh, uh, 19, 20, most of it. Um, these sorts of, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, we need to, uh, I'm I'm, obviously I'm taking them out of context, but we do need to discuss some of the lyrics that we're talking about here just to give some ideas. So, you know, if I can't have you, no one will. I only beat you when I'm drunk. You're only pretty when you're crying. You're not the other woman. You're just another, another hobby for a guy like me. Uh, I'll hold my child's head underwater. If it's a boy, I was joking. If it's a daughter, I'll say I did what I did because I had to. And if you find my kid later, tell her I laughed too. 
Um, who you fucking now? I use my slit wrist to sign my name with. And when you can't compete with the Joneses, you gun them all down. Even the father, you fucking whore. Shut up and swallow my pride for me. Move closer and drive further. So just suck on the end of this dick that comes lead. But first, I'm coming after you all. They are searing and unfiltered and... They are, yeah, they are unfiltered, to say the least. Um, let's not forget that this was... The producer that they had was a person who brought that stuff out. Um, yep. Obviously, he didn't write the lyrics, but he he brought that that kind of emotion and that sort of thing out. That was what band heavy bands were doing at this time. Um, Glassjaw just did it in a sort of a really searing manner and a really mm. open manner. Um, and also, just to empathise with Dow at the time, I think the age is a massive, massive important thing to bear in mind when we're talking about this record as well. When you're that age, and I will count myself in this, I, between the ages of sort of 15 to 21, I did things that I look back on now as a 35-year-old man with absolute shame. Um, and some of my... And, and and in that, I include some of my attitudes towards the other sex. You know, I, I like some of my um, attitudes towards the other sex when I was a teena teenager, I find hideously embarrassing now. And the reason for that is because I didn't have the emotional maturity to, to cope with heartbreak at the time. And most people, most people, the first time that they get heartbroken, don't have the emotional maturity to... Um, deal with it because what gives you emotional maturity is going through those experiences um mm. and everything you ever wanted to know about silence is an incredibly open and incredibly visceral account of someone going through those experiences probably for the first time ever and the fact that it's so naked and it's so raw and it's so open and it uses language that now in in 2020 the word whore is used an uncomfortable amount on this record for example you know and and i know i, I know there's a quote i'll read from him in a moment i know daryl does not um uh daryl himself is uncomfortable with um some of the lyrical yeah. things on this record and the band have disavowed quite a lot of it haven't yes, they? yes. Or the, most of it pretty much all of it well if you go to if you are lucky enough to catch glassjaw these days um you won't hear all that much material from everything you ever want to know about silence. Um, you'll, you'll hear either Siberian kiss or pretty, or pretty lush. lush pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. And it's, uh, you know, and fans have been calling out for them to play more of the, everything you ever want to know about science material for years and years and years. Um, we're talking, uh, we're recording this during COVID and as a, as the COVID, uh, virus stuff, they were going to be doing, I don't think they were going to be doing the album in full, but they were going to be doing uh, songs from everything you ever wanted to know about silence at a festival in America. I can't recall off the top of my head what it what it is now. Probably Riot Fest. I don't Probably. think it is. I don't think it is Riot Fest actually, but but it's something like that. Um, I can't remember. Um, that's been uh, postponed, but I believe they are doing it in 2021. So they've probably you know and i think that's probably a 20th anniversary thing they know full well that people want to hear these songs um and yada 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 but i do understand why they i understand why daryl struggles as a grown-up um to talk about uh, to, to sing these words 
on stage. Uh, I totally get it. Um, mm. I was once told the circumstances of Daryl's heartbreak by a mutual friend of ours who knows the band very, very well. Now, I'm not going to repeat the details here because it doesn't feel particularly fair to discuss those personal details on a public forum. Uh, it would be quite a dick move to do that. Um, but I will say that it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to work it out. Uh, what you suspect happened is more than likely what happened. Um, and there are plenty of clues on the album itself, even if they are dressed up in relatively obscure metaphors. In the punktastic article that I referenced earlier, they say the lyrics are abstract yet paint a perfect picture of what is really going on. I think that's pretty accurate. You don't really have to look too far into it to figure it out. Um, no. So I'll leave it there because I you know, don't want to get into the act. But but when I when I did hear the circumstances of it, I my reaction was like, well, fair fucking play. At that time, if I were going through those things, and particularly at that age, I probably would have done the same thing. And if that paints me, yeah. if that makes me a bad person, then well, fine. But I don't actually think it does. I just think I just think that's a young person going through a very, very difficult set of circumstances that at that age and at that time in their life, they're not actually able to properly compute and properly emotion and, and maturely deal with if if i'm honest mm. but you have uh, you have to see this record within that context uh, you, you have the to. other thing you haven't said oh, is yeah. that sometimes sometimes if you don't like someone and you want to hurt them mm. you will say the most hurtful thing whether you mean it or not i Again, I, I mean, I'm I've got previous for this, mm, <laughs> like mm, quite a lot of previous for this. Mm. I've said some stuff which I absolutely do not believe or agree with at all. I was speaking to our friend at Metal Hammer Merlin Alderslade, and he said to me once, "I'm not again. I'm not going to get too much into details, but he was like, would you say that to someone because of that?' Just and I was like, if I really hated them, if I really really hated them, and I wanted to upset them, would I come across as racist or sexist or whatever just to upset them if upsetting them was more important to me in, the, in that anything, moment in, in that, that moment, moment than anything else yeah probably it's probably yeah. it's probably if i was really 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 upset and i really wanted to hurt somebody there's no matter how much i thought it's wrong or in the moment after there's probably nothing i wouldn't say but frankly, personally, and again, if that makes me a bad person, it probably does, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I probably would. And I have in the past. So I, you know, I, I certainly mean, think my, as, as people grow older, they should, you know, probably learn to put filters on that. Try not to do and that. And try yeah. not to do that. And, and, and if this, if this record was written by a 30 year old person or a 35 year old person or, or got a 40 year old person, then I would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, you really should know better at this point, you know? Mm. Um, but the circumstances that it was written under and all that sort of thing and the age that he was, I, I, um, I can, I can sort of, I can empathize. Yeah, and also, in a lot of ways. I mean, like, even, even like, I mean, <laughs> I think I've talked about this record before or something else. And I said this exact thing. And it was that 
when I, I mean, when I, I broke up with a girlfriend or a girlfriend broke up with me in 2013 and I was, you know, I was 33, but we had such a nasty, like really nasty relationship that when we broke up, I was, I was so hate filled by like looking back on everything. And when it all kind of came to an end, I, I hated her so much, so much. I really did feel like <laughs> kind of an, uh, I don't anymore. I think still like I don't want to speak to or anything, but I don't feel like absolutely, totally like oh my god, I hate you. I hate you so much. Mm. Ta- time back has, then. Time has healed those wounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But if you'd have asked me the week after, mm. and then like what I thought of her, mm. you wouldn't have got. You would have got stuff that sounded like this record mm-hmm. because I was just utterly concerned. And you know, and yeah, maybe it's not a nice thing to write a record about. Mm. But again, like, and, and it's un- it's personal and pertinent, and that is what that person. If you that is what that person feels at that point, and they just what they were writing a record, and he needed some way to vent this absolute frustration about it. And I think kind of holding people to account um, for this twenty years after the fact. I mean, it's such a like, it's such a. Oh, I just, I mean, we've spoken about it before. It's such a weaselly little snitchy horrible way to be like i saw a tweet last night funnily enough from somebody who was like i'd never seen back to the future before and my boyfriend made me watch it and i can kind of see why people like it but are we really not going to talk about the fact that uh, they say a white per- a, a white boy invents rock and roll you know we've, mm. we've taken that away from black and it's like he that little amount of joy in your life that you can't watch fucking back to the future yeah and go, <laughs> oh, Marty invented, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, and, and just see it for that. Yeah. And rather than go, oh, no, no, actually, it's a, you know, it, it's a, it shows the inherent racism of the 1980s mm. that they would, they, they did that and they didn't think about it. And it's like, no, for fuck's sake, it's a fucking joke. It's a throwaway joke mm. in mm. a film from 35 years ago. Mm. And you've, it's like, that film is better than anything you'll ever do <laughs> like, it, i don't you know I, mean? I don't know the person in question but it is uh fact yeah um because I mean, it even is if that's brilliant jesus yeah like, <laughs> it wasn't jesus but you know like no but no I, I just it's exhausting it's exhausting to read i can't imagine how exhausting it must be to feel that mm-hmm. you know to not just go can i can i compartmentalize and and contextualize this piece of art and then listen to it and try i mean to me as well it just feels like let's try and hate something let's go out of your way to kind of hate something i understand the times when i will watch a film or i'll listen to a piece of music or i'll see you know and i'll go well this is wrong with that and i struggle with that because i mean again we spoke about um oh my god what is a band called that we reviewed uh and i said i listened to it we reviewed it on the show this year in 2020 um uh pine grove mm-hmm. um where i was like when i first heard it i was like oh this is really good and then when i read up about him i was a bit like oh shit some of this music has taken on a bit of a different take mm. but i still went out of my way to try and like it do you know mm. what i mean and mm. i did feel mm. like oh that's made me feel a bit different to it mm. but it didn't make me go well i better not like it right good well i don't want to like it now mm. you know let people fucking express whatever it is that they need to express even if you don't fucking like it mm. Like, stop being so... It's not all about you, you fucking arrogant prick. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think neither of us are saying that this attitude is big or clever, but to deny that people don't feel this way at times is ridiculous. 
Mm. Like, uh, it's just to, to, to deny people. Yeah. I would. It's, we've it's all been heartbroken. Yeah, we've like, all been holier than thou bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Like you have thought this. You fuck, and you're actually a, a more reprehensible person for denying, denying it. that you've ever felt like that. You're going, no, no, I never felt that. Like. Yes, you fucking did. Yeah. Don't lie. Yeah, you're yeah. a liar. I agree. Um, let's get Daryl's um, view on it. Um, he, he said of the of the lyrics at the time. This record is basically a modern take of on love. You can write a record that's an anti-relationship record or a broken heart record or a revenge record. Fact is, I'm in plain English saying what's on my mind as bluntly as possible. Sorry, real life isn't politically correct. This is how I feel in my heart and my guts. If you say you can't relate to this, then you haven't had your heart broken. Um, Ross brings not only the best but the worst out in me. And that is what what is needed to create a record that spans the spectrum of human emotion. A lot of bands will do a pop record and it's run of the mill, straight down the middle pop record. And it sounds like the one one plateau, unidimensional entity. It has no real emotion. And the thing with us is that we do bear emotion from all the way to the left to all the way to the right of the spectrum. In order to sound that way, we actually have to be exhibiting that in the studio. And Ross gets us everywhere from happy to pissed to the most rabid and angry. So he said that of the lyrics at the time. However, during the worship and uh, worship and tribute touring cycle, he said, unfortunately, the way I conducted myself on that first record, I wasn't mature enough to know how to handle being in a band that anybody in the world can listen to. And I should have been more positive and guide people in a positive way. But at the same time, you have to grow up and learn. Which is basically summing up exactly what we've just said, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, yep. th- those two quotes make this totally fine for me you you can see there that at the time he was furious about it and he was like look this is warts and all um but then a couple of years later he looked back on it and was like damn man that was that was a hell of a thing it's like it's like everything you ever wanted to know about science is like publishing your diary from a from a point when you're emotionally immature and and you've just had your heart broken you know that's what it is that's how searing it is that's how visceral it is and yeah i can understand you know and glassjaw had no idea that they were going to become what they did as big as they were and all that kind of thing i mean even if they did he was probably so incensed at the time that that might not have stopped him you know but but yeah to deny to deny those feelings and to deny that they happen is just it's just silly really so yeah there we go we've addressed all that which is super important um so as i said i became totally and utterly obsessed with trying to find other bands like Glassjaw. um i was introduced to bands like the used finch story of the year funeral for a friend etc etc many tried to emulate what Glassjaw were doing but for me, no one even got within touching distance of what they were doing um, until uh, I would probably say, and I'm not sure if this is a comparison they'd love, but um, until Let Live's Fake History, I would say, which didn't mm-hmm. come out for another 10 years. So that kind yeah. of shows you how ahead of the pack Glassjaw were. Um, I think they're the only real sort of band who I ever went, oh, it's, this sounds a bit like Glassjaw. This is similar to Glassjaw. Yeah. It felt like the record that I've been waiting when that record came out I think I've said it before it felt like the record that I've been waiting for for you know 10 years as a, someone who's been listening to Relationship of Command and this album and Jesus Christ Bobby by Minus and Same. you know uh, 
all of the kind of great and Thursday's full collapse and all that kind of stuff. Like it was, there's just nothing really that yeah. was like that until that came back. You know? I, I can see why fake history is a generation down the lines version of what everything you ever wanted to know about silence is to me. You know, I, I, I can understand that. Uh, I think it's yeah, absolutely, I think it's probably fair to say that they influence countless bands that I still adore today. The likes of Thrice, Brand New, another troublesome <laughs> lyric, uh, Thursday, The Blood Brothers, Every Time I Die, Rival Schools, etc. Um, I love those bands. Um, and we will be covering albums by most of them in future classic album specials. But none of them quite get to the same. None of them sound like Last Jaw, really. No. Um, no, no, no. They're all very different from each other from each other exactly yeah they are they yeah. are they're, in fact they're all one of the reason i love all those bands so much is in in a certain way they are all their own island you know um mm. they are they do all have their own distinct identities um we've mentioned at the drive-in of course already but as i've said before that was a very different brand of post-hardcore it was it just felt you know that's an outlier in and of itself as well um i think there's a testament to just how good relationship of command is but i think it's a testament yeah. to how good everything you ever wanted to know about silence is as well so um so yeah um and i mean i remember i think i've told the story on the show already but i do remember um going to see finch at bristol anson rooms university um oh, my because, commiserations yeah yeah because someone was like oh finch are a bit like glass jaw and i go going oh, oh okay it's called what it is to burn okay like you know and i could see how the artwork was sort of similar ish to glass jaw and i went i was just like this is a very watered down some version of something that i adore um mm. and actually finch have done some okay things over the years but at that time i was like fuck this band I was told that they were Glassjaw and they're not because <laughs> I was a bit yeah. emotionally immature at the time. Um, mm. So, you know, uh, like everyone has been in their life. Um, the fallout with Roadrunner at a time when no one was falling out with Roadrunner. Everyone was sucking up to Roadrunner because Roadrunner <laughs> they were, weren't they? Yeah, an awful lot for you, couldn't they? Um, this is a bit long, but it's important to get into. Daryl said, we never toured half as much as we wanted to. I just wish we got to tour more in support of that last record. It's just a shame that we never had the opportunity to really get out there and tour. He says, we were on Roadrunner for a couple of years and Roadrunner was a joke, a fucking joke of a label. They are a miserable fucking corporation that does not bend for their bands, does not give their bands anything, and they're just terrible businessmen. They are a giant joke of a label. They had two cash cows, Slipknot and Nickelback, and every other project they had rode backseat to those bands and then the second the new Slipknot record came out and didn't go quadruple platinum in the first few hours it was released they fucking turned their backs on Slipknot that label just wants instant gratification where it sells its units and that's a joke you can't run a major corporation with that as your business strategy that seems I mean listen we don't know what happened with Glass Steel and Roadrunner but that seems I know like that, I know bits and pieces which I will get into but yeah but i mean we, i guess we'll never truly we'll know we'll never newly no, no 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 but, but yeah. i will get into bits and pieces yeah, yeah but what i will say in defense of roadrunner records is that i mean that whole the job slip not and turn their back i mean that's bollocks yeah clearly. i'm not that's sure not about that yeah, yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> the success that roadrunner have had with multiple bands from you know type of negative and life of agony and fear factory and biohazard through to you know today trivium and um code orange it makes me think that that doesn't really ring true to me for the Roadrunner records that I know. I mean, I think they obviously had a bit of a 
kind of weird wobbly period in the mid 2000s but they were still releasing you know <laughs> they're putting out ghost reveries by opeth and mm. you know fear of a blank planet by porcupine tree and i was getting to hear of those um th- th- those bands because of the fact they're on roadrunner and the job that roadrunner were doing with mm. them so mm. that uh, you know who really like who knows where, where the kind of truth lies in that exactly but I, it I, seems like a i get what you're saying um although i will say that i do think roadrunner didn't have a fucking clue what to do with glassjaw um precisely because they were such an outlier and they were a, a, like you know labels as, as well as music journalists like to put um bands into boxes and and, and genres and 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 give them a label um because it's easier to sell them and i do think that glass uh roadrunner got everything you ever want to know about silence were just like what is this record uh and weren't really weren't really sure what to do with it at all um the irony of that is most of the best art is stuff that you can't easily put into boxes um but you know i mean it's a it's a tale as old as time but um you know that that stuff does happen a lot. Um, I, I I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, probably. Um, it does sound like Daryl's being a bit OTT with some of the stuff that he's saying there, but it does give you an idea of how much they really fucking hated the label. Um, and also, can I just say, I mean, in terms of bands being islands and stuff, I mean, again, <sighs> Roadrunner got great success from very unique bands and sort of just putting them on with it might That's have been true. within it might have been within glassdoors because the thing is i mean if Gla- the members of glassdoor are looking back at it and going well you know we don't want to tour with metal bands and we're f- we're from the hardcore scene and we like elvis costello and so you know fuck touring with slipknot and fuck touring with you know the 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 what were the kind of big corporate bands at the time well you know <laughs> because they don't sound like us i mean you know f- that's fair enough but it worked for typo negative mm, mm, going out with, it worked for you know i mean when when machine ed broke big and they went off with slayer obviously that feels like an obvious fit but no one really knew where to put typo probably didn't really know where to put slipknot probably didn't really know where to put dog eat dog even mm, early mm, on do you know mm. what i mean um and it didn't work for everyone i mean admittedly i think shelter and vision of disorder should have been bigger from roadrunner mm. i think <laughs> you know there are a few bands from that era that i go i mean life of agony should have been they obviously I, I think life of agony on their third album probably had a fairly similar thing to glass jaw where you just go well what is who, who who you who, who are you are meant you? to be touring with mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. it's weird um i had tickets to see life of agony supported by snot just after mm. um uh just after that record came out and you think you listen to soul searching sun and you listen to snot and you go well you know it's not a new metal band, essentially, aren't they? And mm. Life of Agony aren't. And um, that tour got cancelled, which means I never got to see Snot with Lynn Strait, which is a bummer. But um, but yeah, but I guess Roadrunner's sort of policy at that time was just chuck them in with all the biggest stuff. Mm. It sort of worked for Amen for a bit. Mm. Um, mm. Again, we spoke about Amen before, and they're, they're a punk band. They were off with Cold Chamber and Insane Clown Posse and Machine Head and Slipknot and whoever else, weren't they? So uh, I don't know you very right could have worked you very uh rightly pointed out that we don't know the all the details about that stuff but there was a very interesting um uh interview that i found with uh, justin beck regarding the everything you ever wanted to know about silence reissue that roadrunner uh put out against the band's will in 
I want to say 2009. I think it was 2009. Um, this is quite long, but it is worth reading to give you an, okay. give you an idea of an incident. Um, so the interviewer asked Justin Beck, what's the deal with the everything you ever wanted to know about re remaster? Is this just Roadrunner being greedy bastards? To which Justin Beck replies, greedy bastards. I'll give you the real shit kicker. I got a phone call from them last week saying how they wanted to not only remaster it, but also include that version of Confectuoso that was on our European single for Rai Rai's song almost 10 years ago. Reason why it's so funny, ironic and just plain unnecessarily mean is that when we were when we were mixing everything you ever want to know about silence, we were writing that song in the studio next to the control room. Our A&R hit record and kept it on a little digital file, I guess. Months later, when we were offered a Deftones tour in Europe, they told us that if we wanted to get any support from the label, we needed to release more material to qualify for a European single. We told them that we told mm. them we had nothing, and they told us, you have that live version of Convectuoso. We didn't really see it as a live recording, but more of a practice tape, basically three arseholes writing a song and figuring out what to do with it. Being young and a bunch of pussies, <laughs> we didn't want to upset the label, so we allowed them to put it out. Fast forward a couple of years later, we're getting re ready to release Worship and Tribute with the intended closing track of Convectuoso, which we finally felt we'd perfected. Right before mastering Worship and Tribute, we received, we received a cease and desist from Roadrunner, claiming that we were in breach of contract and that they, in fact, own the rights to our song. So since it was released, it was considered part of their catalogue and it was off limits for years to come. When you think about it, that was insulting enough. To be told you can't release your own art, even if it was recorded years later on someone else's time, that was frustrating. But for them to come around just last week and express to us that they wanted to try to exploit that song specifically, we felt was pretty tacky and tasteless. The moral of the story is we have nothing to do with this release at all. I'm assuming they're figuring that a couple of you will think that we added something to it and uh, or that there's something now new that you've never heard. This isn't the case. You've seen it all before and you can probably find it online for free. Um, effectively, they were asking fans uh, at one point to, well, no, I need to be careful with my wording of this. They heavily hinted that if fans did want to check out the Everything You Ever Wanted to Know remaster, that they should maybe, maybe pirate it. Not. No, no, no. They were like, <laughs> if, if you want to check it out, pirate it. But don't give those fuckers any money was basically the attitude. I'm you know, I'm putting right. words in their mouth ever so slightly there because I don't want to get into trouble. But that is effectively what they were saying. Um, the Convectuoso story is kind of baffling, but listening to the version of it on the I Everything You Ever Wanted to Know about silence reissue, I can believe it. Um, it sounds exactly like a band working out what the song is going to be rather than a finished song. Uh, do you know that song? Do you know that? Yeah, version? yeah. Yeah there's, yeah, yeah. there's even a point on the song where Daryl says a little off mic, that's where we're going to change, right? As if he's asking someone, probably mm. Beck, I'm assuming, is this the point where we change into the chorus? Um, a few of the lyrics are kind of la 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 as well in place of lyrics that probably weren't quite finished. Um and I can also only discern a vocal, a guitar and drums, which would fit with Beck's rhetoric that the, when he says, and I quote here, that it was basically three arseholes writing a song and figuring out what to do with it. So, I mean, when you hear stuff like that, I'd be pretty fucking furious about that. Does that does that yeah. put it into perspective a little bit more for you, Steve? It yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it does to be fair um i mean actually yeah just listening to it, it's a i mean the roadrunner have 
uh, they milked their back catalogue, oh, um, as we've as we've discussed plenty of times. But even for them, I mean, usually you'd get if you got a bonus disc or a kind of digipack with it, you'd get at least sort of four or five versions of it. But to get a demo and a just over one minute long cover of a Youth of Today song um, is, and to ask people to buy it again for that mm-hmm. is is like squeezing. Um, blood from a stone in the fucking most insane way like that's one of the worst i would say yes um have you heard the reissue yeah i've heard the reissue yeah yeah um it's pretty much a waste of time um yeah it's exactly it's it's exactly the same i think pretty much well it it has been remastered apparently Mm. um although you can barely tell the difference um I, I as i like to do with these sorts of things because i'm a fucking nerd i did a b them and i can barely tell the difference at all i'm going to point out here that remastering an album is not the same as remixing it uh remastering is a much more subtle process and as a result you're going to hear a lot more uh from a remix than you are a remaster um but who did the who did the remaster do you know i've no idea i've no idea um okay. but it's kind of like, this is a bit of a weird analogy to use, but it's kind of the same as, it's the same sort of rhetoric as when diet drinks say no added sugar or no sugar. You know, no added sugar isn't actually, there's no sugar in the product. It's just there's no additional sugar added to this fruit juice, which has shitloads of sugar in it because it's fruit and fruit has shitloads of sugar in it. Um, you know, whereas whereas no sugar is actually... There is no sugar in it. It's it's kind of the same rhetoric as that. Uh, a remaster, if if an album is reissued and it's like, oh, new remastered tracks, you're probably not going to hear much of a difference between the originals no. at all. If an album is remixed, like, for example, the Pearl Jam 10 remix that we've talked about in the past, you're going to hear a massive fucking difference um Mm. if they've done their job well which most of these mixes that they bring in to do these things do uh because there's big money in reissues but a remaster you're probably gonna be wasting your time in the main Mm. um so Mm. yes um uh we haven't actually pointed out that the album itself was mixed by steve evetz which i didn't know oh yes very good point yes steve Mm. evetz who of course went on to do everything dillinger escape plan did he did most, most of stuff. things. Yeah. 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 He, he'd done, um, he would have done, uh, Captain Infinity by this point as a producer, mm. but I mean, he's, he's great. He actually did. I think I said, um, did I say progression through unlearning by Snapcase? Cause it's actually designed for automation. I always get those two titles fucking mixed up. He did design for automation that year, um, as well by Snapcase. Um, he also did Slither by Earth Crisis and, yeah. <laughs> and he did Yours Truly by Sick of It All, which is uh, the last great Sick of It All album, I think. But yeah, he's done all Dillinger, pretty much all Dillinger, um, Sepultura, Every Time I Die, um, core, uh, Saves a Day, loads of stuff, loads and loads of stuff. Yeah. He's very good. Very, he, very good. he is well good. Um, Steve, I've been putting this off ever so slightly because I'm insanely, insanely jealous. Although I might not um, need, have any need to be jealous, um, as we might find out. But you saw Glassjaw live on everything you ever wanted to know about silence, didn't you? Can I you did. tell us about that? Uh, yes. Um, so they were supporting Deftones uh, at Br- the, the Brixton Academy, the, um, the very prestigious Brixton Academy. Um 
just before, probably about a month or so before White Pony came out, Deftones did a one-off show to kind of showcase material from um, their new record. Their new record, which due to having a finger in a pie with somebody who worked for a music website, I'd actually already heard. I got Ooh. a kind of, I got a CDR burned copy of the new um, of White Pony probably about two months before it came out. Um, just as lucky a, me. Just as a quick aside to this, I found a Kerrang news piece from that time recently, flicking through old Kerrangs, um, that said originally um, they were going to really. Oh, this is probably we should save this for a White Pony special. Although we're not doing White Pony, are we? Um, but uh, well, we could. We could. Um, but yeah, apparently um, the, their original plan for White Pony was to release all of the tracks unnamed, and so and the and the fans would eventually name them over the years but it was literally going to be track one track two track three track four i didn't know that i, but, well, I might have heard that at the time i don't remember that yeah yeah that that's was good. it was it was reported in kerrang as that's what they were going to do they abandoned that obviously but what i will tell you um was interesting about that record is that um uh mini maggot or whatever it's called yeah, the yeah, back yeah, to yeah. school um was actually the second to last song and then pink maggot as we as close as the record now um was was the last yeah was the last song and then it was um a mini maggot was just before it so those two songs went into into each other in the version i had and then when i bought it the day it came out because obviously i still bought it don't don't like come and get me the pirate police come and get me um (laughs) i bought that version with the boys republic on it Um, oh yes 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 uh, and it didn't have back to school on it at all and i was like oh well that's weird um anyway enough about that but anyway so yes i went to see deftones at brixton academy um just before white pony came out they played a bunch of stuff from white pony i knew all the words no one else did i felt well smug um but <laughs> i still love uh, that feeling today when, yeah, when, like, when yeah, you go good, when you feel like such a smug prick you go to like you've had a record in advance because of the job that we do and you're singing along really loud and people look at you like fuck you <laughs> I remember someone turning around to me after they played Elite and I'd been singing, you know, with your life, you're control. And he was like, that song's really good. How do, you, how do you know the words to it? And I was like, oh, I've already got the album, mate. And he was like, oh, oh, is it good? And I was like, yeah, pretty good. Um, in the, <laughs> what a wanker. But anyway. Yeah, what um, a wanker. Yeah, but anyway. Um, so knowing that Glassjaw, obviously, yeah, it'd been a, but yeah, a year and a bit since Deftones have been around. So we were all pretty excited to see them. Um, having heard the album, I was massively excited to see them. And then when Glassdoor got added to the bill, me and my mates who were going up were like, oh, fuck me, this is going to be incredible. So we did that thing that you do when you're young, uh, which is go up to London for a gig uh, at sort of in the morning and go and look around the shops and then go and queue two hours before the doors open. Um I presumably people still still do that to this day, but we were like, you know, we were about kind of sixtieth, seventieth in the queue um, for 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 the doors. So when the doors opened, in we go, give the geezer our ticket and everything. And <laughs> if any of you know Brixton Academy, you'll know that you kind of come through this hallway. It's almost like a sort of it's like a lobby, isn't it? It's like an old sort of cinema, mm-hmm. Brixton Academy. In fact, it is an old cinema, so it's like this classic old cinema thing. You go through the lobby and then you go from the lobby through the doors into the the main um sort of uh arena yeah yeah this this massive dance floor this massive dance floor (laughs) 
yeah. Uh, yes, yes, quite. Where people do their dancing. Um, yeah, and it's this really beautiful, intricate building. It has a kind of... Uh, what is the effect? that They've got these Roman columns sort of thing at the side. It's a really yeah, it's beautiful, just a really it's a beautiful nice iconic old, yeah, venue. Yeah, I love yeah, Brick's yeah, Academy. Yeah. Um, I love Brick's Academy to look at. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but support bands can often have a rough old time with the acoustics of Brixton Academy. Uh, and to this, to really this noticed, day, to this day, I hadn't day. really noticed it until um, that day. So anyway, we went up to the door to go through into the um, into the sort of the the main part, and a guy stopped us and was like, "You can't go in yet." And we were like, "Why not? The doors are open." And he, we were like, "Oh, the ba- the band are on." I was like, "The band are actually on." He's like, "No, no, they're still sound checking." And it was Glassjaw still sound checking after doors had opened so obviously whatever had gone on there'd been yeah. some sort of problem yeah. um and i went can you just at least open a door so i can hear him sound check and he was like yeah go on then so he sort of opened the door and we poked our head through and heard glass jaw do their last little bit of sound checking which basically amounted to them playing pretty sort of three quarters of pretty lush and then they all kind of went off the stage and the guy went all right off you go you can go down now so we go down and then wait another sort of hour or so before glass jaw come on and (laughs) it was so bad that i couldn't actually i didn't there were times when i didn't know what song they were playing you you mean you want to say you mean the sound specific the sound Mm -hmm. was unbelievable like it was unbelievably bad yeah yeah (laughs) unbelievable unbelievable as in I cannot understand how professional sound people can get could have got this so badly wrong that Daryl was basically totally like he, like his mic wasn't even turned on. Right. You could not hear him at all. Um the bass was so trebled up that it was just a fuzz right. and it overpowered everything. Ugh. And the drums, you could just hear cymbals. It was cymbals and a bass going and I've I've never seen and even even playing tiny little venues with you know people who are not professional musicians I have to say in taking everything into account it's one of the worst sounding gigs I have ever heard in my entire life I literally could not hear I didn't know what they were playing for I would say seventy percent of the set they started with pretty lush and it and I was like okay and I was like I hope this gets better because i can't really hear daryl and everything sounds shit and they got really really i think they were really disheartened by the end because what what i do remember is and i don't know if this is something they were doing all the time but they ended with motel the white locust and everybody went they all just kind of threw their stuff down and walked off and daryl just was there at the end and he did that pack of shit and leave I take my memories of a worthy pack of shit and leave mm. and take my memories. And he got, and he actually, he did that and he was on the stage on his own for about five minutes to the point where, and it got loud and, and by the end he was just screaming it. And then he threw the mic into the photo pit and walked off. Right. Not happy. Mm-hmm. Not happy. Yeah. It was shit. Unfortunately, yeah. not the band's fault yeah. at all, yeah, yeah. but it was, it was bad. Did you see them again on this run, on this album cycle? I didn't, but I do have a little bit of insight from someone who did. Okay. Because um, now, again, it's, it's a, a 
bit personal of a personal thing but um well fuck it but we went uh when i was in the band obviously we went down we went and played around all over the place and we got a gig supporting earth tone nine at the yeovil ski lodge right? right now yeah pretty good and it was right near the end of the year it was a really really good gig actually i remember it being one of the best gigs we did um and um earth tone nine were running a bit late and they turned up and they were like oh we've yesterday was the last night of our tour with soul flying glass jaw and they were the opening act and we were like oh how was that and they were like it was rubbish <laughs> they were like oh, you know right. the doors were opening at seven and we were going on at like 12 minutes past seven and we didn't have a sound check and we had two drum kits in front of us um and they said it got a bit better when we became the only support band because glass jaw had to pull out of the tour kind of um halfway through because Daryl was really, really ill. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. And I remember and I remember hearing that, you know, Daryl had to go back and Glassjaw wouldn't be playing some of the dates. I think it was a few of the UK dates he missed, actually. But um, I didn't go to that tour. Uh, but, yeah, but I was talking to Owen Packard, Earth Day Nights guitarist, and I was saying, you know, how's the tour been? He was like, you know, it was pretty <laughs> pretty disheartening um, because Soulfly fans just didn't, we weren't really there. They didn't really get, what we were doing it was quite difficult and i said how did glassjaw go down and he was like he said to me he was like there were nights when glassjaw played where they were the best band i've ever seen in my life they were absolutely incredible and he was like but again soulfly fans did not want to see glassjaw he's like they just looked at him like what the fuck is this yeah another example and of roadrunner not knowing where to put them yeah, but then I, but it, it's weird because it did work for some bands and I guess it didn't work for others. I think yeah. Soulfly is very, very straightforward and Max's yeah. kind of roots with, you know, the old school of thrash and that era stuff might have meant it was a bit of a, you know, kind of tough, um, a tough sell between the two of them. Yeah. But, um, but, but Oz from Earth Tone 9 said to me that, you know, they, um, they really bonded quite well with Glassjaw because both of them felt like they were like, fuck me, why are we here? Sort of oh, thing. Right. And and Carl from F Tone Nine and Daryl were going on and doing Chino and Grady's parts in the song the Soulfly song Pain right. from their second album. So cool. yeah, Chino Moreno and Grady from Wilhaven are on that recorded version and they were going on doing it and, and he was just like, you know, they're really great they're really great people and they're a really, really great band. He was like, but I just he actually said to me, he's like, I feel like the two of us sort of bonded over the fact that we're both fucking cursed. Mm, mm, mm. Earth Tone 9 and Glassjaw together excites me. I think that's a fucking great shout. Um, yeah. Just bad sound and no one weren't there watching them. Yeah. No one weren't there. <laughs> no one weren't there watching them. Um, Shit. Well, that's a shame. Well, look. Yeah. Um, Glassjaw, it is no big secret that Glassjaw are very hit and miss live. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. we will in the second part that we uh, do uh, which will be up next week on Patreon we will be talking about them being amazing live at some point uh, I certainly will be and hopefully you will be as well um, yeah oh okay yeah. <laughs> uh, but for now I suppose let's sum up this record I feel like I've done a lot of it and I'll probably just descend into a mess of like oh my god I love Glassjaw so much so Steve for you as someone who's a little bit more um, uh who has a little bit less of a uh, bias towards Glassjaw, I guess. Mm. Um, everything you ever wanted to know about silence. Yeah. Um, I think we'll probably discuss in a second part how Glassjaw, in my estimation over the years, have, have dropped quite considerably can, compared to where they sat in about 
2003, 2004. And, but that's not really relevant to now. I suppose the only reason I bring it up is because I often go, why, you know, why, why do I care so much about bloody glass jaw when they let me down so often? And I suppose the reason I do is because when I go back to this record, and I think it particularly is this record, um, I, 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 I'm not sure, um, I can recall something that was as weird and melodic and scabrous and so unidentifiable coming out at the time that it came out. I mean, for me, it came out at a time, as I sort of discussed before, where my tastes were changing quite a lot. And to find a record which sort of transitioned me from that material into, you know, that kind of scene, that adidas rock adidas metal scene into something harsher and harder and more challenging and and you know opened up doors to you know we've mentioned post rock post punk and um and more ethereal shoegazy stuff but also without losing any of the savagery in fact actually increasing the savagery is incredible i think it's definitely a a snapshot of a (laughs) <laughs> of a moment in time from somebody who is deeply deeply troubled and that interests me it's in mm. in music like that always interests me mm. you don't have to agree with it you don't have to like it you don't have to feel comfortable listening to it mm. but i think i would always i i always am interested in hearing people that are willing to delve this deep into their personal demons and their psyche and this record does that and the fact that it does it and it's so fucking catchy as well Mm -hmm. like it's got so many choruses it's got so many massive guitar riffs it's got so many like lines that you can sing back to each other i mean the fact that we go you know like pack your shit and leave Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and when i get back Mm -hmm. when i get back Mm -hmm. like it seems to be a record that has got literally everything everything you could possibly want from heavy alternative challenging music exists on this record Mm. um i don't think it's the most consistent record um i actually think the next record what are the weak moments for you um you you mentioned babe there's yeah i think kind of um for me actually what you picked as the strongest part of the record is the is the place where i get the least amount of enjoyment from it i still think it's good okay. i just don't think it's good in the way that you think it's good okay um i'm wounded but that's fine i know that's, that's <laughs> fine i mean i really do think the first six songs are absolutely incredible mm-hmm. and then it does drop off a little bit um okay. before you get to the last couple of songs that's my own personal opinion um not that those songs are bad i think they're great and i think there's some you know there's some really interesting things on them but i just don't have the same amount of love for it that you oh. do well, that's, that's a, uh, sorry about that's that. A, that's a, this is the last podcast we will be doing together. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I do think Worship and Tribute is a more consistent record, but I actually think, just as a one-off, as a um, as a unique piece of music, as something which basically invented, it didn't. In, I mean, you can't say it invented post-hardcore. You can't say it invented emo, but it certainly existed and introduced so many people to a completely new style of music, which then went on to become fucking massive. And you're right when you say, I don't think anyone ever did it like this. I think even when you chuck in, let, I mean, let live are the closest, mm. but they didn't do this. No, I agree. Um, uh, 
going back to this record, I kind of always thought fake history and everything everyone wants to know about silence I put on a par with one another. I, I, I don't know if I think that now. I don't know. It's it's a hard one, but but yeah. I I I, I going back to it, I am just like fucking hell, I love this band. <laughs> you know. Um yeah. so yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. I mean, for me it's kind of it would be the black I mean I spoke about the black is beautiful anyway but I think this is the sort of the ugliness of this record and the fact that it came out at a time when there was nothing nothing else like it whatsoever makes it one of uh, one of the most important records of that period in a period where let's not forget you know my favorite record ever came out that year mm. relationship of command mm -hmm. and i think that's often why i kind of overlook this record or mm -hmm. i start I, I began to overlook glass jaw and now i feel like i'm starting to overlook out the driving because of <laughs> at the driving's various mr medinas over the years um <laughs> my sort of love for them is diminishing a little bit as well but when you go back to the actual records they are so fucking incredible that it all just comes flooding back doesn't it i you may not agree with this but i think in terms of the drop-off of both bands i think the drop-off of at the drive-in is far more severe than glass jaws drop-off personally no i absolutely do agree with that mm. i absolutely do agree with that mm. completely you know how much i hate that last out of drive yeah record. it sucks yeah because yeah. uh, i i still think if i heard there was a new glass jaw record coming out you know in a few weeks time i'd still be extraordinarily excited about it uh, Material Control is is a very good album. I don't think it's amazing, yeah, it is good, but it's a Material very Control good is good. Yeah, Material yeah. Control is good. It's just some of the some of the EPs I I find fucking hard work. I've got to be mm, honest. Mm, mm. Mm, mm. <sighs> uh, some people, Steve, uh, people younger than us, I would say in the main. Um, I know what you're going to say now. <laughs> I know. I, I've seen the Facebook comments as well, Renfrew. Don't worry. Some people say that this record is dated. Is that what you oh, thought right, I was going to okay. say? Oh, what did no, you think I, I was going to say? That, that some people think this record is <laughs> is not as good as anything that um, we never learned to live have put out. <laughs> seen that. <laughs> seen that. No, I wasn't. Oh, going about. Oh, I love you, Matt Mills, but oh. no, sorry. Um, yeah. uh, no disrespect to We Never Learned to Live, who are a very, who very are great band. Like, but they're a good band, yeah. But come on. No, no, I don't know. I, uh, Matt Mills fellow. Uh, I think even they'd admit that, wouldn't they? Yeah. I think they, even they would they admit. Would. Of course you know. they would. Yeah. Uh, lovely, lovely writer for Hammer and Problem. I mean, we like Black so Futures, but if someone went, oh, I, don't, I don't know why you listen to Nine Inch Nails. I got the Black Futures album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think even Black Futures would go, don't be silly. <laughs> yes, come on. yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that wasn't what I was going to say. I, uh, some, I think some people, I think some people particularly younger than us, obviously because this is put on such a pedestal by people our age generally um uh some people go back to it and 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 yeah do feel like it is dated how do you feel about that has this record I think dated musically i think no, no i don't think it has really mm. i think that if it's if you think it's dated i think you think it's dated to a period where it was probably five, six years beyond when it actually came out. Absolutely. That's what I, that's what I think. So I think it's certainly, even if, if you go, well, this record's dated, it's like, well, yeah, it's dated for sort of five years after it actually came out anyway. So that's point one. It's not, I think it's, it's not taking into account how far ahead of the time this record was. Yeah. 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 Um, whereas I think, and I also think I can, you know, I can see that there are, 
elements of things that were very very popular around this time that are in this record mm. um does that make it dated i guess it well if if everything else that surrounded it wasn't so dominant then i would sort of go well i can i don't think it sounds dated but i can see how you would say it comes from a certain time period but because of all the other things that are in it i mean i i don't know yeah, yeah. it doesn't sound like it it doesn't sound like it would come out now mm. um but then i don't really think i think dated is the wrong word i agree i think um i mean obviously you know i you can hear just from me wanging on about it for the last two and a half hours that i have a strong bias to this record because i adore it um the time that it came out the fact that it was probably the first proper heavy hardcore record that i ever heard means that it is super important to me and it it opened my eyes and introduced me to bands that i would end up loving later on in life i refused is one that i didn't mention obviously shape of Mind's come came out two years yep. before this but you know um i don't think i would have um understood the shape of punk to come at all without having heard this record first um and I and I guess I do come at it from that point of view, but no, I, I, I think dated is the wrong word as well. It is evocative of a time, but is that the same as dated? No, I don't think it is necessarily. Um it, there there's a new it's a nuance there that is different. But um but one yeah. thing I will say, and just as a little teaser for next week, I do think worship and tribute has aged better than uh everything you ever wanted to know silence which again is a different is different to me saying that this is dated but i do think worship and tribute would sound amazing in a hundred years time to be honest with you and i could kind of understand why people might not say that of this album but having said that i still think it sounds so powerful and so searing and it's such a brave place to go it's such a brave thing to put out uh, into the world to be this uh, nihilistic almost and this pissed off and this open and this to just to just puke out your emotions mm. and, and and put them onto tape and and let the world hear it um mm. bands very seldom do that i've got lingua ignota of course which is as uh, well i was going to say actually that. is that we actually tend to and i think well not just us i think the world in general tends to um at the moment it feels like a lot especially right now people give a lot of credit and a lot of commercial i mean fiona apple's another one mm. recently that we've mm. done um that has had incredible sort of critical acclaim um for being very very open this record is that now you can't sort of say oh i want my artist to be very very open but only in the way that I want to hear it. Mm. You don't get to make that distinction. Mm. You either go, yes, all artists should be as open and as, you know, honest and as sort of searingly, brazenly honest as those artists are. There is no difference between this record and Lingua Ignota and Fiona Apple in terms of its approach. They're the same. In terms it's of the its same thing. In terms of its approach, there's no different difference. I mean, I suppose they're coming from a different side of the argument, obviously. It's the con but... the content is different. Mm. The content is different, but the approach is exactly the same. And you can't you know, you can say, Oh, I don't like this or like, oh I don't agree with him or I don't you know what I mean? You can say you can say well, I feel to, to be super clear, I don't agree with a lot of the ways no. that Daryl put stuff on this record to be super, super, super clear. But I, but when I put it into context, I understand why he puts it in those ways. 
Yeah. And, and I, I think, think it's he... very brave to do. Yeah, I, and I don't think, yeah, I, I think you either allow people to express themselves and go, well, you know what? I didn't really like hearing that um, and it was quite upsetting and I don't agree with it, but fair play, that's how you feel. Or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that in, in that respect, this record, um, as hard as it is, it it kind of resonates with a lot of stuff that's happening right now. But like you say, just from a very, very different perspective. If you listen to this record in the midst of heartbreak and you can't relate to it, I don't believe you. If you said you couldn't relate to it when you were in the midst of heartbreak, I just wouldn't believe you, to mm-hmm. be honest. And again, if that makes me a bad person, then fine. But I, I, I actually think that just makes me a human being. Yeah, I agree. Well, anyway, there you go. Um, more to come on Glassjaw. Next week, uh, like I say, go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash podcast. Sign up for the £5 tier. There you'll find, well, if you're listening to this anytime in after the next week or so, you'll find part two then straight away. But if you're listening to this during the week that comes out, it will be coming. In the meantime, you can sign up um, and listen to us talking about Guns N' Roses or Sepultura or Marilyn Manson or Radiohead or Pink Floyd's and there will be plenty more of these coming we've actually recorded a shitload of them already there's a whole uh, bunch yeah uh yeah. Should we say what we've done yeah yeah Weezer's let's say Pinkerton, what we've done yeah yeah part life by blur and we've done manic street preachers and uh manic street preachers holy bible and everything must go are all recorded mm-hmm. so they'll be going up next and then there are you know there's plenty more coming i think we'd I think we, we talk about maybe doing a bloody Joshua tree and acting baby quite soon. Yeah, we have been talking about that. When when are, when are we going to do? Um, I tell my guitar the things I used to tell you by Rentfree Deadman, Steve. Um, probably for its twentieth anniversary, very much like this one. So. <laughs> oh, in another ten yeah. years. Oh, for goodness' yeah. sake! When Roadrunner have done the Digipack reissue of it. Uh, <laughs> Fine. That'll be good. Anyway, (sighs) all right, lovely. Well, thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you for part two and just see you in general because we'll be doing loads of bloody podcasts like a couple of lads. Uh, See you later.